course. Yeah. Thank you. Of course. Good evening. First, I'd like to thank everyone for showing up online and in person. And second, I'd like to open an invocation. Heavenly Father, we ask your guidance, your wisdom, and support as we begin this meeting. We gather here today with the intent of doing good work. We seek to represent fairly and well those who have given us this task. Help us engage in meaningful discussion and give us clarity and strength to use only the best skills and judgment. Please bless this community, the residents, businesses, and visitors, and help us to continue doing work in your name. Amen. Amen. Roll call, please. Councilmember Hollingshead? Councilmember Cavey? Yes. Councilmember Bracken? Here. Councilmember Brooks? Present. Councilmember Dietz? Here. Mayor Pro Tem LaFleur? Here. Mayor Gray? Here. Thank you. Thank you. Please rise for the Pledge of Allegiance. First, thanks everyone for coming again. Um, also, I want to say Merry Christmas to everybody. Happy New Year. Uh, we're not going to convene until, uh, reconvene until after the New Year. So I want to, um, you know, one of the things I want to mention is, you know, hopefully our New Year can be good. And hopefully we can uh, uh, have a great New Year with love and gratitude and forgiveness um, uh, for 2024, uh, which has also been mentioned just before the meeting started. Um, we've had more loss in our community. I just want to make sure that you guys... Um, you know, extend a hand when you can and, and, and try to uh, be gentle when you can. Um, one of the reasons why Councilmember Holland says it's not here tonight is because he's attending a, uh, an event in the honor of one of his teachers who passed away uh, last couple of days. So it's, it's going around, unfortunately, and at this time of year, it's, it's, it's harder than usual sometimes. So with that, I want to um, introduce uh, Laura Cavey. Thank you. Um, just also wanted to wish everybody a very Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. I'm looking forward to see what uh, good work that we can do in 2024. Thank you. Max, or sorry, uh, uh, Kevin Bracken. Thank you, Mayor. Uh, yeah, Merry Christmas and uh, uh, don't need to say the same, so I'll carry on and uh, no other comments. Thank you. Thank you. Max Brooks? Yeah, just echoing the same. Thank you. Thank you. Tim Dietz. Merry Christmas. Um, it's one of those times of years where if you can just slow down and find some hope in Jesus Christ and let him guide your heart, spend some time with your family, that's, that's, that's all it's about. Slow down, everybody, and enjoy the time. Thank you. Thank you. Mayor Pro Tem LaFleur. Uh, same sentiment as my colleagues. Thank you all for being here. Appreciate everybody's support through the, the year. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. Be well. Be safe. Thank you. Thank you. Next, we have unscheduled public appearances. This time is reserved for members of the public to make a presentation to council on items or issues that are not scheduled on the agenda. As a general practice, the council will not discuss or debate these items, nor will the council make any decisions on these items presented during this time, rather than refer them to staff for follow-up. 
Comments limited to three minutes per speaker and limited to four minutes, uh, 30 minutes total. Residents will be given priority in the order they signed up, followed by the non-residents representing Castle Rock businesses, then the non-residents and the businesses outside of town of Castle Rock as time permits. Council is also accepting public comments to be submitted written online at crgov.com backslash council comments by 1 p.m. today to be included in public records. I do have um, a few unscheduled uh, um, one first I have I believe it's Eric and I, I'm gonna I'm gonna put your last name so help me out okay come on up sir Hello. Good, good start. Um, again, hello. My name is Eric Anachuk. I've been li living in Douglas County as long as I remember. I've been a resident for over three years now, and I'm a member of the North American Victological Association. As 2023 comes to an end, the upcoming year of 2024 will be a very special year for Castle Rock as the founding year of this town was 1874, making this upcoming year its 150th anniversary. I know that the town most likely has some plans regarding this achievement, and I'd like to add something to it. What better way to celebrate than having the whole community of Castle Rock come together to design and, and choose official flag for the town? In recent years, many towns and cities all over the country have been introducing and redesigning redesigning their flags for their communities, with even recent states like Mississippi, Utah, and even very recently Minnesota going out of their way to change their flags. Our town, Castle Rock, with over 80,000 residents, the, the seat of Douglas County, a beautiful major town connecting the two largest cities of Denver and, Cass, uh, and Colorado Springs via the, the historical railroad and the interstate attraction a bunch of tourists around the world from my experience living here does not have an official flag. Flags are important symbols designed for the residents they fly for, with many towns, have, towns and cities having them. Castle Rock, having all the aspects I mentioned, I think this beautiful 150-year-old town deserves one, and for all of us to come together on this special occasion as a community to design one for it. Congratulations on this upcoming achievement, and thank you. Thank you, Eric. I appreciate it. Next, I have Dennis. Again, I'm going to butcher your last name. Desarmo. Desarmo. Thank you, Dennis. Thank uh, you. Town Council, thank you. Uh, this is kind of an impromptu speaking uh, time for me, so I uh, appreciate your time. Um, I'm a member of Founders Village. I uh, lived there 23 years. I have a son that works at King Supers, and uh, I walk my dogs often on Ridge Road. Um, we have six lanes converging in the roundabout there at Enderwood and Heritage now. I'm sorry, Enderwood and Ridge Road. And they recently installed um, crossing lights on the north side of that roundabout. Uh, I would like to see if we have uh, money in the budget to install crossing lights that actually cross Enderwood. Uh, so parallel with Ridge Road, um, be, you have people coming northbound on Ridge Road that turn right there, and uh, some flashing lights for uh, pedestrians that cross 
that roundabout would be, uh, I think, beneficial to everybody. Um, like I said, we got six lanes of traffic going in and out of that roundabout now, and uh, it kind of upset me when I saw the new lights on probably the least trafficked intersection there. Um, so, uh, like I said, this just happened. Um, I talked to Mr. Dietz last week. I found out about this meeting, and I wanted to make sure I could uh, address you. Dennis, thank you very much. Thank you. Next, I have Frank Gray. Mayor, Town Council, Merry Christmas. Hope everybody's having a great night. Um, I have gotten up in front of you in the past. Um, sorry, Pre Frank Gray, President and CEO, of Castle Rock EDC. Uh, I've gotten up in front of you in the past to uh, 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 to tell you about some of the programs that that council instituted and that we executed on behalf and during the pandemic with the loan programs, uh, the Kiva loans as well as the community loan programs. And as those programs are paying off and those monies are coming back in, um, I just wanted to share with you that we had another tranche of money from the Kiva loans come back and wanted to be good stewards to the town and the funds that you guys have put forward. So I'm submitting another uh, check. There's probably one more of these come in here probably in 2024 as the final loans uh, finally pay off. And those were zero interest loans. Um, we to In total, we gave out about 27,000 small business loans in um, $27,000 in small business loans. We did 2 million. Uh, the town put up $400,000 in uh, loss leader and in a partnership uh, with First Tier Bank. And those have paid off at 96% of those have paid off and then the rest are either outstanding or um, in payoff and work out with the bank. And the Kiva loans, those were the smaller loans uh, for small businesses. Those have paid off at about 90% are paid off. And uh, this rep this is about, uh, this check is for about $5,500. And there's probably another similar size check remaining to come in as, they, as those finally pay off probably sometime in 2024. So I just wanted to share that those programs were a great success for our community. Our business community really appreciate it. And we really appreciate our partners the town uh, for putting those programs together. Uh, the EDC uh, was executing them, but our but our great partners were First Tier Bank, uh, Colorado Lending Source, uh, were also as a part of those uh, uh, great plans for our community and for our small businesses in Castle Rock. So just wanted to come and say thank you and uh, show you that we're good stewards of your guys' investment and uh, we're returning those dollars uh, to you as soon as we can. So with that, have a great Christmas and uh, let me know if there's anything else we you need from us. Thank you, Frank. Um, also, I appreciate because you know back in the, in 2020 when when uh, stuff was hitting the fan, um, the town, the chamber, the first tier, uh, Carl Lending Source, EDC, DMA, uh, and Council, we all came together really fast for our community uh, businesses. Um, we were probably the first uh, community on the front range to do so. So I, I, I uh, applaud our our previous council and, and our current council and everybody else. So thank you again. Totally agree. Thank you so much. Our um, our community was uh, awesome. Castle Rock was awesome. Town Council was awesome uh, in responding to all that. So it was a great partnership. Thank you. Thank you. I have no one else signed up to speak. If it was to speak, please approach the podium. Seeing none, online, please. Seeing none, town manager report.
Good evening, Mayor and Council. I've just got a few items to uh, go through this evening. First, we want to um, uh, talk about our meeting schedule for next year. Um, you, you see that we are uh, continuing to follow the town code uh, direction uh, meeting the first and third Tuesday of every month. We do want to call a special meeting on May the 14th for boarding commission interviews. And then we are following the uh, tradition of canceling the first Tuesday meeting in August because that is when um, the law enforcement community nationally and our local police department celebrate uh, the national night out. So um, unless there are other changes to the meeting schedule, um, uh, a motion uh, to uh, adopt that schedule as modified would be appropriate at this time, Mayor. Um, I move to motion the 2024 council meeting schedule. Um, proposed changes are call a special meeting on May 14, 2024, starting at 5 p.m., and cancel the regular meeting on August 6, 2024, second. for National Night Out. Uh, first by Laura Cavia, second by Tim Deeds. Any further discussion? Roll call vote, please. Councilmember Cavey? Yes. Councilmember Bracken? Yes. Councilmember Brooks? Aye. Councilmember Dietz? Yes. Mayor Pro Tem LaFleur? Aye. Mayor Gray? Aye. Thank you. Motion passes 6 0. Thank you. Just a couple other calendar items. Um, we've got the uh, holiday schedule here half day on uh, Friday, and then town offices closed on uh, next Monday and Tuesday. Uh, New Year's Day town offices are closed um, as well. Then we're back at uh, meetings here on the 2nd and the 16th, and uh, uh, the town celebrates the Martin Luther King Day on January the 15th. Got some neighborhood uh, meetings that are um, set out there as well. Some of these projects are continuing to proceed. Um, note the um, Chateau Valley site development plan which has been in dormancy here for uh, probably a couple of years. Um, they have come back and they're now uh, scheduling their second neighborhood meeting here in, in, in January. Um, Wellspring has got a proposal out on Wolfensburger Road for annexation and zoning. And uh, then there is uh, an existing uh, tower um, there um, that Verizon has that they are I wanted to do an addition on there on, on January the 18th as well. I think the other ones are fairly straightforward. And I think that concludes the slides. Um, Pete's going to come up. And as while Pete comes up, I want to wish each and every one of you and your family a very Merry Christmas. Sarah and I extend that. And more importantly, town staff extends that uh, to you all as well. Thank you all uh, for a wonderful year. We look forward to next year. But I do hope you have a uh, chance to spend more time with family and friends here over Christmas and the upcoming holiday. So thank you very much. Pete is now going to summarize um, a very challenging uh, issue. Um, we do this on an annual basis. We are not required by any law to do this, but the finance department, Trish and Pete, have undertaken this where we provide a summary of the financial status of metro districts. This is based off their 2022 audits. And Pete will provide the summary. You've got a very extensive document that's in your packet. And when we get questions from citizens, and we do get questions about metro districts from citizens, 
we use this as kind of a baseline report. So I want to acknowledge Pete and Trisha's work in, in regards to that and turn it over to Before we start, Laura. One quick thing with the um, Verizon uh, topic possibly coming up, can you make sure that's a standalone item so that I can recuse myself? Absolutely. Thank, Thank you for that reminder, Councilmember. Thank you. Pete? Uh, thank you, Dave. Good, good evening, uh, Mr. Mayor and members of council. I'm going to give you a very quick and high overview of a very detailed amount of information here. Um, wanted to just briefly talk about what a metropolitan district is. It's a taxing entity that's separate from the town. And they finance the public improvements generally uh, that benefit property owners within that district. And the debt is repaid primarily through property taxes. Uh, as if you recall, last year we were uh, getting close to the uh, 1B with, uh, with the letter B, $1 billion in debt as, as a combined uh, metro district for the town. <clears throat> and we are approaching that again. We've increased mostly due to uh, um, interest and outstanding balances on developer advances of 48 million. So it puts our total metro district debt uh, in, in aggregate or combined to 991 million, just shy of one billion with a B dollars. So. I uh, wanted to pr uh, provide that information to you. Um, it is broken out <clears throat> in a couple different uh, uh, pie charts here. Uh, we've got about uh, 34.1 million represents developer debt. Uh, 447.7 million <laughs> represents the outstanding principal that's out there. And then 482.4 million represents the accrued interest on that debt. So together that gets just to the $991 million. And at this point, uh, you know, again, that's a very high overview. I'll do my best to answer questions. I may uh, have our town manager chime in on this, but Trisha's done a good job of putting this together. I would say that the metro districts have all complied with their filing requirements. Uh, the, the, the brief overview that we do looks like they're all able to meet their debt requirements and make those payments and have uh, 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 met, met the requirements that, that, uh, that we review. So, and I'll, I'll do my best to stand for questions. Um, Tim Dietz and then uh, Max Brooks. Yeah, Pete, thank you. Very much. Just for the public, just so we know how this is handled, is once these met, where these metro districts are now, is we as a town can't or can go in and make changes to it. That's my first question. Uh, great, great question. That is correct. These are kind of already set uh, and, and run on their own. While we can review, there's nothing we can stop or change. I know that going forward, council back in 22 have, have approved uh, more of a model uh, um, document uh, that will kind of control what can and can't be done based on what, what uh, council approves. Uh, so going forward, there'll be some changes based off what council wants, but prior stuff were kind of more just uh, providing information to you. Who, Sorry. Who can, and then if you're entering, who can ever, can the federal government make a change in these? Who can? Well, the, we these are, uh, metropolitan districts are creatures of the state. Not all states have metro districts. I came from a jurisdiction that didn't have metro districts. Um, uh, public improvements uh, for private development were financed through a, through a different method. Um, but metro districts are allowed under state law. So the state law governs metro districts. Um, so uh, the federal law wouldn't really have any, any particular application. I want to say they have to follow any applicable federal law, particularly when they issue debt. Because one of the advantages of the metro district is, is that when it issues debt, it is exempt. The interest on that debt is exempt from federal 
uh, income tax. It's also exempt from state income tax. So they've got to follow any number of different laws in regards to how they issue debt. Um, the state has in recent years, because of concerns statewide, done some things in regards to the governance of metro districts. One, the, the one key thing I was going to wanted to point out was is that your the, the council's involvement is in the creation of the metro district. Any metropolitan district that was that's within the town boundaries has to be approved by the town council. And then they what they do is they have what's called a service plan. And the service plan it's kind of a quasi-constitution for that metro district, if you will. Like our charter is our constitution, essentially. The, their service plan sets out what they can do and what they can't do. And it usually has to do is what can they do in regards to taxes, what can they do in regards to, to issuing debt. And it's at that point where we have instituted new changes for new metro districts, as you were pointing out. Mm -hmm. Many of these have been our, our, our legacy creatures from earlier years, earlier decades, um, where we can set out limits as to how long their debt mill taxing authority can be, how much debt they can issue, those types of things. So that's, it's at that time that we have a say. After that, as long as they are complying with their service plan, all we do is watch, which is essentially what we're doing this evening is watching. And then the other last question for me is, without these metro districts though, houses would be much more expensive for the average person to purchase, correct? Well, that, that, that's, a, that's, a, that's a very fair statement. In, in many cases, that, is, that would be correct. Metro districts finance what we call the internal on-site improvements for the, the property. The property is currently scrub oak or whatever it is and doesn't have any public improvements on it. Metro District comes along usually concurrent with the entitlement of the property, the annexation and the zoning of the property, and the Metro District gets formed. Its governing body is usually just the property owners, the, the development team at that time, and then they issue debt, and that debt, the proceeds from that debt then is used to pay to put in the street to put in the water line, to put in the sanitary sewer line, to pay for the investor-owned utilities that uh, Black Hills Energy and Core Electric will require to be put in, to put in the drainage, to put in all the different amenities, all, all those other things that are associated with the property. The, the good thing about Metro District debt, the close to a billion dollars that Pete points out to, is that none of that debt is the town's debt. We don't have any general obligation debt. Um, the debt that we have is, is revenue bond related type debt from water and um, some sales tax issuances that we're, that we're in the process of paying off. So we're not on the hook for any of this metro district debt. It's the, the bondholders are, and then also then um, the, the, the bondholders have, have uh, provided the proceeds and then the property owners um, are paying off that debt over time. So that's kind of the usual construct. In, in other other parts of the community where there is development, for example, Red Hawk is a, is a good example of a neighborhood. There was no metro district. So all of those improvements were paid for by the development somehow. They got a bank loan, they internally financed it, we don't know. The, the economic argument is, is that those lots cost more because they had to borrow that money 
and pay for the lots at that time. Whereas in a district where there's a metro district, a, a, a development where there's a metro district, that the, the lot price was less because that cost of all that infrastructure wasn't built into the lot price, it's gonna be paid for over time. Much like we pay for, we all, but most of us pay for our homes over time. You're paying for the infrastructure that benefits your property over time. That's, that's, the, that's the pro argument in favor of metro districts, is, is that that's how that, those improvements are financed. And, we're, we're, yeah, and this, I wanna make it very clear, our report is not meant to be a, 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 an indictment of metro districts or a statement against them or for them. It's meant to be factual as to what we understand the facts are because it is a, it's a big Castle Rock public finance question that's out there. We wanna make sure that at least we've got pretty good information because in my experience, and I'm not, I guess this is a disrespect of some metro districts, they don't do a very good job of communicating with their constituents. Whereas we send out annual reports, we've got websites, we've got information about the town's finances. That's not always true. In some cases it is true. It's not always true with metro districts that if you live in a, in a metro district that you've got a lot of good information about their finances. Max and then Laura Cavey. I think you had mentioned this earlier, um, but the report that was in our packet, which you know went individually, you know, metro district by metro district, it was, uh, it was very comprehensive. Thank you for putting that together. Uh, I imagine that will be online, live somewhere for public to be able to access and be able to look through that and be able to get whatever information, interest rates that each one are paying, so on. Right? Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Laura. Yeah, yeah, yeah just counsel quickly. Um, yes, it, it, it's online now, and then we and then we provide a link to the report as well. A couple quick questions, just because, just for my edification, when you're talking about four hundred eighty-two million dollars in interest, where's that money going? The the bondholders are getting those interest payments pursuant to the district service plan and the various bond covenants that are set out for those individual bond issuances. So for Couldn't example- Couldn't they use that money to pay off the, the debt? Well, that, that, it, it, it depends on each individual bond issuance um, that, that each metro district would have. Um, if, in, in many cases, the, the metro districts um, are able to make principal and interest payments um, in some cases, they're only able to make interest payments. Um, the Meadows Metro District is, is an example. It's not the only example of a, of a Metro District that is currently only paying interest. And the interest is accumulating. I think the interest stops accumulating here later this decade, in this decade. Depending on how it's set up. Yeah. Right. It depends on each individual Metro District, but yes, what he's saying is that. Right. Yeah. Then one other question. I know we made some pretty substantial changes, as you alluded to, in 2022, which I think is great for the community because it caps it. It doesn't allow them to just continually take people's money and not pay off their debt. Um, for example, in the Meadows, where um, they don't give the homeowners, uh, I guess, a voice and they continue to, um, you know, 
keep on with the metro districts instead of letting you guys like refinance the bond or do anything like that that would cost you less money. Is there any way when we made those changes in 2022 that we could add anything in there that would say that at X point you have to give control over to the, the homeowners? Do you see what I'm trying to get at? So no, we don't get into right. the mess that's going on in the meadows. The, the the town would not have the authority to change those contracts between the bondholders um, and the the metro district. That's that's an existing contract um, where they've said that the metro district debt can't be uh, renegotiated, can't be refinanced. Um, and that's that's unfortunate, but that that was the that was the bargain that was struck, and that's when when you get into as you may know when you get into financing agreements that's that's one of the the key deal points is can you refinance it, and sometimes somebody will say no because we're going to give you a better rate because you can't refinance it, um, so that that was just part of the bargain that was struck when that was all done back in the, I think in the 1990s. I mean going forward. Go, yeah, going. Right, going I didn't for, mean, right. sorry, I wasn't being articulate. I'm still on Italy time. Um, <laughs> what I meant is because we already made the changes in 2022, can we add an additional change that requires the metro district to give the, you know, I think it has to meet a certain threshold, like you have to have 50% or some, some amount of people have to, you know, have bought homes there. And at that point, that it has to be turned over to the people that, that in, live there. In, in our service plans going forward, we do that. Okay. We, we, look, at, we look at the issue of when, um, when it's appropriate to have prop, resident property owner control as opposed to developer control. Exactly. We look at how long the, uh, uh, the debt mill levy can, can last. Can we, one, one of the key philosophies that I think we're trying to follow is, is that we don't want metro district debt to, to substantially outlive the life of the infrastructure that it's being used to, uh, to finance. Um, you wouldn't go down the street and get a car loan and say, I'm going to get a 15-year car loan with the idea the car isn't going to last that long. You, you, you know, we get, we get mo most of us get 30-year mortgages because that's kind of the life expectancy before you're going to have to do major rehab on a house or some of that philosophy. Well, so we, we try and have that, that window so that it doesn't last, you know, 60, 70 years worth of debt. It's, it's roughly the, the lifespan of the infrastructure there. So we've tried to narrow that. But um, we also don't want the alternative that if developers can't do metro district debt, are they going to come to us and ask us to do the debt? We don't, we're glad we don't own this debt. We're not responsible for it, even though we own most of the, the physical assets now, the, the streets and the water lines and the, uh, the, the sewer lines. So we, we still want this to be available for them, but we don't want it to be, um, we don't want it to be abused. And we've tried to find ways to um, reduce that chance. We haven't eliminated it. Um, but we think we've reduced it to where future metro districts won't have some of the issues that, that, that we've seen um, in, in Pete's report. Thank you. I think that's helpful for um, people that are listening in the community as well to know that we are trying, you know, to, to make a dent in it. Right. Kevin Bracken and Max Brooks. 
Thank you very much. Yeah, Dave, I was just going to have you comment on the maintenance plan and the changes that we made. So it sounds like we covered uh, covered that already. But um, and you know, you know, my philosophy on the metro district is that they should not be earning generational money on the backs of infrastructure that's old and being replaced already. So the, any limits we can do to that, um, the better off we'll be, and, and that's what we've tried to do. So kind of talking over what we've already done, so just making comment. Just as a, uh, a little bit of a public service announcement for anybody at home or anybody out there that uh, just remember that if you live in a metro district, uh, if uh, chances are that if it has been turned over to the residents, uh, it's run the same way, very similar to an HOA. Uh, there is a metro district board. You have metro district members. The requirement is that they live in your district. Everybody has to have public meetings. All of the metro district meetings, I've been part of a metro district for, I, I'm on a metro district board, have been for 13 years. Uh, these meetings are public. Nobody ever attends them because nobody ever knows about them. They're the number one tax collecting property, you know, in your statement. You look at where your taxes are going, number one are metro districts. Find out, Google it, what your metro dis district is, attend the meetings. If you don't like the way that it is being run, if you feel like, uh, like they do not have a good plan for payoff, find different members, right? They have to stand as a public vote. Find members that are fiscally responsible in your neighborhood, in your community to serve on your metro district. Thank you. Thank you. Any more questions or statements for Pete or staff? Thanks, Pete. That concludes my report. Thank you all. Thank you, David. Moving on to the town's attorney's report. Good evening, Mayor and Council Members. There's no town attorney report tonight other than our office wishes you all a very Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. Thank you, Lindsay. Moving on to the acceptance of the agenda. If there are no changes, additions, or deletions to the agenda, a motion to accept the agenda as presented will be accepted. So moved. Second. I have a first by uh, Kevin Bracken, second by Mayor Pro Tem Fleur. Lafleur, um, any, any uh, further questions, statements? And roll call vote, please. Thank you. Councilmember Cavey? Yes. Councilmember Bracken? Yes. Councilmember Brooks? Aye. Councilmember Dietz? Yes. Mayor Pro Tem LaFleur? Aye. And Mayor Gray? Yes. Thank you. Motion passes 6 0. Thank you. Moving on to the consent calendar. These items are generally routine in nature and have been pre previously reviewed by town council and be voted on a single motion without discussion. Any member of town council may remove an item from the consent calendar. Number seven, resolution 2023-147, resolution approving the construction contract with Global Underground Corporation for the Prairie Hawk PRV upgrade project. And number eight, proclamation 2023-14, proclamation congratulating Castle Rock Castle View High School Varsity's uh, small co-ed cheerleading team on the state championship. And move to approve the consent calendar. Thank you. Second. Uh, first by Kevin Bracken, a second uh, by Laura Cavey. Any further discussion? Roll call vote, please. Councilmember Cavey. Yes. Councilmember Bracken. Yes. Councilmember Brooks. Aye. Councilmember Dietz. Yes. Mayor Pro Tem LaFleur. Aye. Mayor Gray. Aye. Thank you. Motion passes unanimous. Thank you. 
Dave, I don't see the minutes on here. Is that is that a, on purpose? They, they weren't ready, so they will be on your next meeting. Okay, thank you guys for making sure. Quasi-judicial hearings are the following items are due process hearings required by color of law in order to afford all parties a process under law. Town council members will be fair and impartial in deciding whether an application should be approved or approved with conditions or denied. In making that determination, each council member must consider for the record, which includes planning commission recommendation, staff recommendation, applicant presentation, public comment during or before written public comments uh, offered uh, before the hearing. And under law, town council must evaluate the proposed uh, based solely upon the record and the criteria established under municipal code, which is highlighted in the staff report. It is important that each council member may remain objective and capable of considering information offered into the record during the hearing. If any council member believes that he or she is incapable of evaluating and voting on an application consistent with these due processes, please describe the situation and recuse yourself from further participation. Does any council member have a conflict of interest or a matter that he or she would like to discuss prior to proceeding? Madam Clerk, has the public hearing been properly noticed under applicable regulations for this types of land use hearings? Yes, it has, Mayor. Thank you. The council will now hear the applicant, public, and staff comments will be taken in limited to four minutes per speaker. Council is also accepting written comments submitted online at crgov.com backslash council comments by 1 p.m. today to be entered into the record. Number nine, resolution 2023-148, resolution um, approving a site development plan with Dunkin' Donuts restaurant for with drive-through and Founders uh, Marketplace, lot five, Founders Mark, Marketplace, finally number one, amendment two, site development plan. Tara. Great. Good evening, Mayor and Council. So this is a, a site development plan for Dunkin' Donuts, and it's before you tonight due to the residential, non-residential interface. So I'll talk through that as we proceed. On the vicinity map here, you can see the lot's just over 1.1 uh, acres in size. It is uh, east of Founders Parkway, and it's north um, northeast of the Four Corners intersection. So the large uh, format building in the bottom is the King Super on Ridge Road. Uh, you can see a lot of the parcels in Founders Marketplace have already been developed. Um, it sits just north of the 7-Eleven. Surrounding uses um, in the unincorporated Douglas County are some single-family homes. Um, in the town of Castle Rock to the northwest are single-family homes. Along the northern boundary is a multifamily development uh, that's called Echelon. Uh, that is the trigger uh, due to the proximity of this lot's northern boundary. Uh, sharing with that southern boundary, that's the trigger that's bringing this application through public hearing. So normally a site development plan of this size and type would go through administrative approval. Uh, you can see further to the east, single-family homes and terrain, uh, some large um, drainage tract open areas, and then the commercial developments uh, that are in the same uh, founders uh, marketplace just to the south. A little bit on the history of approvals. Uh, this part of town was zoned and annexed in 1985 as part of the mall and office infill center. Uh, so that's the commercial development uh, that I showed on the previous slide. It's zoned integrated business, so that allows restaurant uses, retail office, and light manufacturing uses. So the use of um, the proposed restaurant with drive-through is an allowed use. On the site development plan, this is a pretty, um, Hopefully not too busy, black and white plan. You can see Founders Parkway is on the left side of the slide. Uh, their main um, 
access drive into this commercial development is Aloha Drive, which is already constructed, and then Aloha Street on the right-hand side curves up to the um, multifamily uses. Uh, on this layout, the proposed building's uh, just under 1,800 square feet in size. It's orientated, so its primary access is off of the internal uh, street Aloha Drive, excuse me, Aloha Street. Um, it has a secondary access that'll really serve as a right-in, right-out um, on Aloha Drive. They've orientated the drive-through, so it's furthest away from the residential. Um, again, the multifamily residential to the north is what's triggered uh, the interface requirements. Uh, the zoning in this area allows a building up to 50 feet in height. Uh, the Dunkin' Donut is proposed at 24 feet. Um, I'll show a little bit more on the next slide, but while we're on this slide, that northern um, area that has a, the 30-foot buffer requirement is uh, full of um, overhead lines as well as a sanitary sewer force main. Um, so there are some required easements that prevent a lot of planting along that northern boundary. So what are they doing uh, for the buffer? Um, so I'll show you that on this slide. The yellow highlight area generally shows the 30 feet that's required. So due to the size of um, this smaller commercial building, uh, they're required to have a 30 foot buffer distance between them and the next residential property line. Um, I should point out that the property line is actually 250 feet from the closest multifamily building to the north. Um, but in this 30-foot area, they can't put too much additional landscaping due to the utilities that are in the area. Uh, they are adding some in the green shaded uh, along the edges of the yellow. And then um, additionally along their parking lot, they're really providing enhanced landscaping to block uh, parking lot lights. Um, and then, like I mentioned, they've orientated the driveway, uh, excuse me, drive-through to be on the south side of the building. So you can see that down there. And actually, I'm going to go up real fast to the vicinity map so you can see um, it's about 200 uh, feet, actually uh, 225 feet to the closest building to the north um, and then they have their 30 foot setback and their additional buffering on their site. They did hold uh, the three required neighborhood meetings. Uh, you can see those span from March of 2022 through, um, through this year in November. I think actually that Middle date, excuse me, should be November 22nd, 2022. Um, general feedback was received at these meetings, just concerns on uh, general traffic and growth and questions about uh, the choice of fast food. Uh, there are some resident feedback uh, emails provided in your packet. Uh, most of those, I believe, actually, I believe all of those were positive um, or just questions about when is the next meeting. So we've had a, a mix, but a, a handful of feedback. The site development plan has to meet the criteria that's in Title 17, and so staff has reviewed um, those criteria as well as the Mullen Office infill zoning requirements and find that it does meet those requirements and those of the interface uh, regulations. Planning Commission heard this item at their meeting last week and voted 7-0 to zero to recommend approval to Town Council for your consideration tonight. So I have a proposed motion for your consideration as well as some alternative motions if you need additional information. The applicant is with us online tonight, uh, so I know TJ Speech has a presentation um, to make, so happy to answer any questions you have now or after the applicant makes their presentation. Laura Cavey. Um, was there a traffic study done? 
Yeah, the, the master traffic study was done when the overall commercial development was completed. And so for this site development plan step, they um, submitted their traffic compliance letter that this lot meets what was originally looked at and reviewed with the zoning on it. So Dan, we don't think there's gonna be any issues. And the reason why I asked that is I live right there. Yep, no, and, I appreciate um, that. And I know how you get in and out of there and it's a right turn only. You yep. can't turn left. Right, correct. So um, I'm just curious how we're going to handle all the, you know, you can only go down Founders going north and turn right in and then to come out you have to turn right and is that going to cause people to go down and like do a U-turn to go back? Like what are we looking at in terms of traffic impacts? Yeah. So uh, the Public Works staff has reviewed all of their um, proposed traffic and confirmed that it does meet the requirements and capacity of the road network. I don't know if Dan has anything additional to add to that. Um, I think you're going to have to get your coffee on the way to work if you live south of here and not on the way home. Uh, but that's not unlike the uh, 7-Eleven, right, and the other businesses in this area. Right. I guess what I want to know, we don't have an intersection there that's going to get an F or a D, do we, because no. of the development? No, I'm not aware of the details, but as Tara said, they, they do a master TIS, and we, we look at that, uh, and, and then when the actual uses come in, they're required to, to, to provide a conformity letter to show that it is, is in compliance with the master TIS. But you're right, I mean, due to the location, uh, we make it uh, fairly, a little bit of a challenge due to proximity to the intersection. Right. So that there's a lot of avenues that people can go to to actually get where they need to go. Um, so the volumes are gonna be dispersed. Okay. But, like, but like you're saying, the um, with the, with the, with it coming in, we're trying to make sure that it doesn't back up on the founders, so they can't make an immediate left right. into the site. They have to go to Aloha Street and make that. So w w when we took a look at it, we saw that all the operations are not going to impact negatively the surrounding network. But it will be a little bit busier anytime you have a user that comes in that is starting to, to occupy those those sites. But it was all accounted for in the master TIS. It's just coming to realization now. But they did provide conformity that they are. Uh, within the standards uh, uh, that we reviewed with our master TIS. All right, I just want to make sure because I know that spot and it's a really funky area to get in and out of. So, yeah, most of these folks once they get pepped up on their their coffee and donuts, they'll they'll be able to to make those maneuvers. We're yeah. <laughs> pretty confident. Is that Aloha Street to the east? Yeah, Aloha Street's like right there. Down yeah, they're both Aloha, so you're coming in on Aloha, Aloha and then the, and then it turns into the, the north-south Aloha Street, I think. It's just it's just kind of a, it's funny, because I've been to that 7-Eleven, and it's hard to get in and out of unless you just want to go right. <laughs> yeah, and, and most of the users will be local to the area. They're going to be the folks that are, that are kind of living there. I mean, as far as the new generated site traffic conditions, um, that's a smaller percentage of the actual traffic that's coming. So it's a lot of existing traffic that, that they'll actually be passing by. So it's not, a, it's not a ton of new traffic being generated and adding to the network. But th there will be some of that, but most of it is serving the existing development that, that's in the area. Okay, I just wanted to make sure we covered that because it's such an odd place to try and get in and out of. And I just wanted to make sure there weren't any Ds or Es or Fs once we add um, 
Dunkin' Donuts. Right. No, I'm, I'm, I mean, these, these are all kind of uh, uh, being accessed at, at unsignalized intersections, so the, the, the levels of service should be fairly insignificant. Okay. All right. Thank you, Dan. Sure. I appreciate it. Sure. Any more questions for staff or Tara? I think, Tara, we can move on to the presentation. All right, I believe. Hi there, yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me, am I ready to go? Yes, you are, I apologize. Just let me know next slide and I'll advance it for you. Sounds good, thank you. Uh, my name is TJ Speech. I'm with uh, WC Civil, the civil engineer on the project. I'm here representing Quality Brand Group for Dunkin' Donuts Founders Marketplace. Next slide, please. A little bit on the applicant here. Uh, we have Lisa Busca, who's not here with us tonight, but we do have Channing Lachlan and Shane Clark with Quality Brand Group. Uh, Brian Zurich, I believe, is on the call from the ownership group. And uh, like I said, I'm with WC Civil. I'm here talking through the civil bits and a little bit more about the site. Next slide, please. Uh, as we just mentioned uh, previously, we're just under 1,800 square feet. We're located at the northeast corner of Founders in Aloha. Um, <clears throat> 1.13 acres. Uh, current existing conditions were undeveloped. There's no uh, real major ground cover, just native grasses. Next slide, please. A uh, little bit about the site here. We've got, uh, like I said, an 1,800-square-foot building, parking lot with ADA stalls and ADA pedestrian access from both east and west side. Next slide, please. And a little bit here on the building elevations we're showing the south on this slide here. Next, we've got the north and east and west here, followed by some pictures of some similar Duncan sites that have been open in Colorado Springs, as well as in uh, some other areas. I believe another, another one here is in Arizona and another one's in Florida, uh, just to kind of give you an idea of the finishes and what the building might look like when it's complete. And that is it for our slides here. Thank you, TJ. Any questions for the presentation? Seeing none, we'll bring it back to town council. Town, uh, we'll bring it to uh, public comment. I have no one to speak. If someone wishes to speak, please approach the podium and speak in the microphone. And, and, and online users can use the raise your hand feature and phone in callers and press star three. Please state your name, whether you're a resident, non resident, or business owner, you have four minutes to speak. Yes, sir, go ahead. Yes, please. Dennis Desarmo, Founders Village resident. Uh, I'm sorry I did not put my name down to speak on this. Um, <clears throat> Lady council member, you can turn left out of that road uh, going south on to Founders, um, coming out of the 7-Eleven and what would be in between this. Um, maybe the traffic study should suggest that we can only turn right um, because with the construction going on at the Four Corners intersection, it's probably gonna get pretty dangerous trying to cross from 7-Eleven Dunkin' Donuts southbound Ridge Road. Um, the other question I have is for the residents of the north side uh, housing is, I can't remember if they've finished a sidewalk uh, alongside there um, from Aloha north to uh, the next light. Um, I know it was pretty uh, rough going a while back, but I haven't seen it lately. Um, but also, do we know the hours that Dunkin' Donuts plans on staying open? Thank you, Dennis. TJ, can you answer the the, the last question? I'm pretty sure the first question, uh, Tara said yes, the sidewalks are completed. 
on business hours, I'd have to defer to Channing or Shane, who are on the call with me here. Thank you. Um, if, if you guys are, would be able to jump in and let me know on that, that would be great. Uh, hi, this is Shane Clark with Quality Brand Group. Um, our typical hours of operation are 5 a.m. till 8 p.m. Thank you, Shane. I just uh, would like to say that you are going to have an increased flow of traffic there because that new McDonald's is going in about a block south of there. Um, just a traffic study would probably be best. Thank you. Thank you. I have no one else time to speak. If someone wants to speak, please approach the podium. Online users may raise your hand feature and press star three or phone callers as well. Raise your hand. Thank you. Seeing none, we'll bring it back to town council for a discussion and a possible motion. I move okay. to approve this resolution as by title. Second. I have a first by Max Brooks, a second by uh, uh, Pro Tem LaFleur and Laura Katie. Did we hear from any of the folks that you know, or in those multifamily homes, were, was there any concerns there in terms of the proximity, the hours, 5 a.m. to 8 p.m., lights being on, like, or was there just no feedback? Uh, there was some feedback, and that's why the drive-through was put on the south side of the building, so they orientated the building and pulled it as far away from the north side as possible. Yep. Did we get a lot of negative feedback? No, we did not. We had mostly inquiries and questions. Okay. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Hit for discussion. Tara, what's your go-to donut? Was my go-to growing up? What's your go-to donut? Donut? Oh, glazed. <laughs> or those cronut things. Man, those cronut things are evil. Okay. Max Brooks. Uh, I think that was actually the most pertinent question um, is because this would have been handled administratively if not specifically for the residences. And we don't have any really questions or comments from the residences. Otherwise, it's an administrative matter, right? Um, so the input from those people living adjacent to the property, I think, I mean, that's really, uh, that's really what this comes down to. Otherwise, we wouldn't have been talking about it, right? Um, so everything else passes the, uh, the sniff test, um, uh, it appears. So I would, uh, I would support it. Thank you. Thank you. Any more discussion? Roll call vote, please. Councilmember Cavey? Yes. Councilmember Bracken? Yes. Councilmember Brooks? Aye. Councilmember Dietz? Yes. Mayor Pro Tem LaFleur? Aye. Mayor Gray? Yes. Thank you. Motion passes 6 0. Thank you. Moving on to number 10, the agenda. Resolution 2023-149, resolution approving the site development plan for Oaks of Castle Rock filing 2A single family detached residential housing development. Tar? All right, good evening, uh, Mayor and Council. So this is the Oaks uh, at Castle Rock filing 2A. Um, I've got a lot of colors for you on the screen, so I'll talk through it. The application tonight is the area highlighted in blue. It's 166 acres. It's located south of Plum Creek Parkway. Um, and you can see that it's east of uh, Lake, Gulch, Lake Gulch Road. Um, 
Adjacent to it, uh, highlighted with the filing one label, um, is the original filing of this overall Oaks plan development. Those homes were constructed between 2006 through 2017, um, and there's about 122 homes, single family homes in that area. Uh, you can see uh, multifamily development um, up to the northwest, and then some areas of unincorporated Douglas County with some large lot um, homes on it. Um, the area in yellow I'll talk about throughout this application is part of the original filing two. It is not being amended with the application tonight, and I'll show that on another slide in a little more detail. Um, and then filing three, which is highlighted on the east side of the property, is the other piece of the original Oaks uh, PD zoning. And filing three, uh, that area has 116 homes and they were all built um, really between 2020 and 2022. So the subject for tonight is the area in blue, but they kind of connect uh, and impact some of the areas around it. So I wanted to show um, all of those uses. Little history of the zoning approvals. Uh, originally this park, uh, the majority of the Oaks at Castle Rock was zoned and annexed in 1985. Uh, there were two parcels um, that were annexed and zoned in in 2005, a parcel called the Archer property, and in 2007, the Burchett property. So that all of those were combined into what we call today the Oaks at Castle Rock PD. And the, the governing zoning is the fourth amendment of that. Uh, the site development plans uh, for each of the filing areas have actually already been approved. So in 2001 was the filing one area to the west that was approved and constructed. Uh, the parcel we're talking about tonight, filing two, has an approved site development plan from 2009. So that went through public hearings at that time, uh, but it has not been developed yet. And then 2010 was the approval of the Oaks filing three. Those are the homes to the southeast. Uh, that was approved in 2010 and has been constructed. So this is sort of the middle piece that connects them or it touches most of them. So again, filing 2A, so we're calling the amendment tonight filing 2A because we're amending uh, the previous site development plan for filing two. So in this um, area outlined in black is the subject tonight. You can see there's a access road coming off of Plum Creek Parkway, and I'll talk about that more on the next slide. Um, it winds through, it's a very hilly terrain area. Um, the pink area that's labeled not a part on this slide, slide is the remaining lots of filing two. So they're just under different ownership. There's 18 lots there. They're not planned to be changed as a part of this amendment. Uh, the road still connects and goes through it. Um, and so it's just not being changed from what the original approved site plan on it was for. And then you can see, um, again, it's very hilly. Uh, the topo is pretty steep out here. So the road network winds its way up and through and it connects to um, Castle Vista Drive that's constructed as part of filing three. I should point out that the site development plan that was originally approved in 2009 had approvals for a lot of steep street grades and some uh, grading uh, road curvature that we wouldn't support today. So the applicant was required to make a change to, to meet within our current criteria for road network. Uh, so that's why they've uh, clustered some of the lots um, this layout, and they'll talk. They'll show it more on, in color on some of their slides. There's an increased amount of open space, um, and there's no longer a road connection on the western side. Uh, it just really proved to be too steep to meet the town standards for um, for grades of the roads. So the table on this slide shows the zoning. So the first column, Oaks PD Fourth Amendment, that shows that this area, the combination of two and two A, are zoned for 132 single family units. Uh, you can see the requirements of public land dedication, uh, 20 acres of dedicated open space, 
and uh, 56 acres of private open space. Uh, the middle column that's called proposed filing 2A, that's the subject of the application tonight. So they're proposing 114 single family lots. Uh, they're meeting the PLD and, and open space requirements for their portion. And they're actually increasing the private open space uh, by about 20 acres of what was previously um, approved. Part of that is removing the road uh, from the open space track in the middle and changing um, to a more clustered product. These are uh, custom and semi-custom home lots. I think the minimum lot size is about 16,000 um, square feet, um, but some of them are larger than that. So you can too see with the remaining filing two, 18 lots, um, those add up to the cumulative total column on the far right. So overall, two with the 2A add up to the 132 single family lots, so it meets the zoning. And again, overall it's providing um, about 20 acres, 19 acres more of additional open space than is required from the zoning. This is a color graphic. Um, which I did borrow from the applicant's PowerPoint, but they'll, they'll show it in more detail, uh, that shows really the 166 acres. Uh, you can see the 114 single-family lots in yellow. Uh, the open space and public land areas are in green. I do want to point out there's a stand of uh, mature uh, ponderosa pine in the southeast corner, and they're adding, they're preserving about 20 acres of that uh, as a part of the dedicated open space, uh, combined with what was previously dedicated with the Oaks Filing 3. We'll really have about 30 acres of some beautiful treed areas uh, that are preserved there. Additionally, um, again, as I mentioned, the access point on Plum Creek Parkway. So there were some questions um, as to what are the future plans for intersection uh, improvements here. This has been planned for a future signal when traffic warrants are met, so I do want to touch on that. There was some additional information added to your staff report. Uh, the development agreement, which is the contractual obligation, uh, was actually amended in 2019 uh, for the payment from the developer for the signal, so they've made part of that payment now, and they'll make rest of it when they do their plat. Um, additionally, they are obligated to pay it's about $1.8 million for two lanes uh, of Plum Creek Parkway to reimburse the town for construction that's occurred there. So overall, um, I believe their obligation is just over uh, $2 million um, in road improvements. So it has been designed and planned for a signal. Uh, the town did just recently do the widening on Plum Creek Parkway, and we have continued to treat it as a signal. We did get a question on if it could be a roundabout. Uh, the grades in this area are pretty Deep, the uh, entrance road that goes into the development is at about five and a half percent of grade. Um, and so if this area were to be flattened for a roundabout, it would probably have a substantial design and construction cost to it. So I just wanted to make sure I touched on that. Again, the developer has met their obligation uh, that was required by the town throughout their zoning and previous site development plans and has made um, part of their payments and have more payments coming. Again, the road network, as you can see, winds through um, the property, and their secondary connection is on that Castle Vista Drive uh, to the south. Uh, the zoning um, allows for single-family homes, a maximum height of 35 feet. Um, I do want to point out, and again, the applicant will have a slide showing Skyline Ridgeline. So several of these lots are in the moderate and minor Skyline Ridgeline area, so they'll be limited on the moderate to 25 feet. So they're not seeking any uh, variance requests for that. So their homes will meet the, the zoning allowances. And additionally, on the southern edge, uh, they are providing additional planting and trees uh, to um, help buffer from the existing property in the county. 
There have been um, very highly attended neighborhood meetings for this uh, project. So you can see that on the slide. Uh, they had their first one in September of 21. Uh, they had one in February of 2022 and then in November of 2023. So had anywhere from 20 to 30 folks uh, attending both in person and online. Uh, you can see the highlights of feedback that were provided um, in the bullets here, questions on impacts to wildlife, uh, how's the traffic gonna be handled, uh, what are the buffers like, how are the trails connected, um, water resources. There's There's been a lot of um, discussion and uh, all of the emails the town's received are also in your packet. Uh, there's been questions on fencing. I think in some of the initial discussions, um, the developer heard to uh, not have fence lots to help wildlife move through freely. And then more recently, there's been questions from some abutting uh, neighbors that would like to have fences. So right now, uh, it's not a requirement in the site development plan. There's an approved type of three rail metal fencing that's allowed if a homeowner chooses to fence. Uh, and that's determined to be one of the most wildlife friendly fences uh, that they've come to. So again, these are um, typical comments. Uh, I would say the developer has listened and made changes where they were able to, uh, to a lot of the comments. And again, added additional buffers and trees along that southern edge. The site development plan is reviewed uh, by staff under the criteria in Title 17. You can see uh, the main sections uh, listed on this slide, uh, the, the layout, the circulation and connectivity, um, how their offsite impacts are mitigated, as well as making sure they provide the required amounts of open space um, and public lands and recreational amenities. I should also point out there are a couple trails, eight foot wide paved trails that go through the property, um, as well as a pedestrian crossing that goes under Plum Creek Parkway. So from a staff a review perspective, uh, we find that the site development plan meets the goals of the town's guiding documents. It does meet the requirements of the zoning of the Oaks of Castle Rock PD zoning, as well as the criteria in the municipal code section 17 and all of our town technical criteria is especially related to um, roadway design, uh, drainage design and utilities. Planning Commission reviewed this at their meeting last week and voted seven to zero to recommend approval uh, to town council of the site development plan. So that really is my presentation. Uh, the applicant is with us tonight and has a more detailed and colorful presentation to make. Um, but I have motions prepared for you when you're ready to consider those. Happy to take questions now or after they speak. Questions for Tara before we go on a presentation? Laura Cavey. Um, back to the whole traffic thing that I keep harping on. And the reason why I harp on this, just so everybody knows, is I look at my job up here on council to leave Castle Rock better than when we when I started up here. And if we are trying to put in developments that cause any kind of D, E, or F intersections, I absolutely will not vote for it, just being very clear. So that being said, um, are there any intersections with this development that will fail in some manner? No, the traffic study indicated they meet the town's criteria uh, for all of the intersections. I don't have the level of service numbers in front of me, but I do know they meet the town requirements for all of the intersections. Is that in our packet somewhere, Dan, <laughs> where the actual traffic study was done and it shows each movement, like the one we were talking about with Mem and Young and Four Corners and the other roundabout? A traffic study was done. I don't know if it fully is attached to your packet or not, or if, no, it's not, it's not, but it does meet the requirements. Um, for all the turning movements. So we'll see if Dan has anything else he wants to add to that. 
Nope. Right. Dan doesn't have anything else to add, but he's going to sit up front with me. Anything else? You good? Um, no, one other question. You mentioned something on there about blasting. That was a question that was raised. This area does have some, um, some uh, cap rock in it. So as they move forward with their design of their homes, they'll determine if it's needed. And if it is needed, they'll follow the, the Cats Rock <laughs> Fire uh, Protection District's requirements for blasting. Where would the blasting take place on this map? Where? Um, I'm going to let the applicant address that. I will say this is a hilly terrain. There's sewer lines and water lines and then uh, home sites. Those are typically the areas that might need blasting if it's required. At this point in time, that's not fully been determined. So as they look at each lot, I do think in the Oaks Filing 3 neighborhood, um, this area has some cap rock. I, there was blasting done for the construction of those homes. So I don't think it's fully been determined. but. Happy to let the applicant touch on that. Um, at the time of site development plan, we don't fully have those details. But it's a good, it's a question that came up because of the Oaks Filing 3 development. Okay. And is this our only vote on this? Yes, this is a site development plan is a one reading. It's a resolution. The, the zoning that was put in place for it is what went through the two readings that allows the uses, that allows the densities. And here we're just looking at the layout and location of it. If council determines they need additional information, they can request to continue the meeting um, if needed. All right, Dan, how do we get an actual um, traffic study of, of this? We can certainly provide that to, to, to you. I mean, it's, it's part of the packet that's required so is it, the SDP. I, I don't think it's with this packet, but if you want to see it, we can get you the castle a copy of it. Right. It's a part of the application, and it's been reviewed by Dan's public works staff to confirm that it's in compliance. It just wasn't 300 pages added to this application tonight. Apologies for that. Okay. Because I would like to read that yep, if I could that. at some point. Yeah, and just just to to kind of clarify, the the current standards for our levels of services D are better for for intersections. Some movements can be an E for that's our current standards. Um, so uh, to just to, to to talk to your comment about you know not not approving the D's are are better. I mean, certainly your prerogative. Yeah. I just want to let you know what our standards are that Tara is referring to. It is it is D or better for for the entire intersection. It has to be e. a D or higher. D or better, yeah, so A, B, C, or D. Right. D is the maximum. And then for some movements, like a left turn lane, it can be an E in the peak hours. And are we seeing that in this traffic study, that there will be E's? I, I can't speak to that. I don't know if the, the developer might be able to answer that, if they have their traffic consultant here. Um, okay. They, they might be able to provide that information. Okay, thanks, Dan. Sure. Max and then Tim Dietz. Uh, yeah, I guess if uh, Dan, if you want to come back up, that's fine. It, it doesn't. It doesn't matter. Um, you know, I'm having a hard time, just some internet difficulty here, and being able to bring up um, the packet on Legistar. Uh, I've looked at this connection before, um, but it seems like I'm I'm misremembering this. Uh, can is there something that can orient us to where Ridge Road is? I mean, I know where it is, but what I'm trying to look for is the traffic flow from Ridge Road through the existing Castle Oaks development to this development and fully understand how that traffic is going to move through that part of the neighborhood because what I'm seeing here 
um, with the Oaks filing three doesn't seem to be as direct as what I thought that I had seen with Ridge Road. So if there's anything that we can look at that orients it to Ridge Road, that would be great. Okay. Apparently we're pulling up a, a broader map that, that should show that. All right, this is from the applicant, so yeah, so this this is fairly decent. Uh, thanks, Tara. Um, so north is to the top. Uh, mm -hmm. the, the, their new intersection is shown here in the red. Ridge Road is is right here, running north to south. This is the roundabout. So they're, they're roughly almost halfway between the the, the two roundabouts on, on Plum Creek Parkway. Um, so as Tara mentioned, uh, when when a signal is warranted, uh, that'll be the primary control for for the main intersection coming on the Plum Creek Parkway, um, and then uh, of course access to both Ridge Road and Plum Creek in, in both directions. So if you go to the bottom of the map where you see the roundabout, you can move your cursor down to the right. This one right. Okay, yep. So if I'm in that roundabout uh, coming off of Ridge Road, coming through that roundabout, can you kind of show me the uh, the flow of traffic from there into this development that we're talking about, and I, you might need to zoom in, but I'm just wondering how the existing homes are impacted by the traffic flow coming yeah, from this there's, direction. There's an existing roadway that comes in and serves filing three, which mm -hmm. already exists. They're required to actually connect into that collector roadway um, on the south end, kind of where my hand is shown, and then it kind of um, is a circuitous route through the through the the neighborhood up into Plum Creek. So it's meant to kind of minimize cut through traffic from folks that might be coming through here that want to access Plum Creek. It's still faster for them to go through the, you know, Ridge Road, stay on Ridge Road, go through the roundabouts and come down Plum Creek. So we're trying to make sure that there's not a cut through issue with the, with the roadway network and how that's designed for the local streetway system. But there is an additional back, so somewhat back door access point for those folks um, in and out of that neighborhood, if, if that's clear. Okay, so the traffic coming through there would not have to flow through filing three. You're saying it could flow through that connection that's just to the south of it. Right. That that, that was in, intentionally made as a collector roadway, not only to serve this filing three, but the future filing two. So we have seen this development in, in different forms, as Tara mentioned, since 2010, nine. nine. So, yeah, I mean, this connection has always been contemplated to serve this future development. Okay. Thank you. Tim Dietz. Well, I think uh, Laura and Max have, have asked the good questions. I just, I have some comments then and questions for the developer. Okay. Um, before we move on to the presentation, any more questions for Tara or Dan? Okay, let's move on, move on to the presentation, please. All right, the uh, applicant is with us tonight, and I'll let you guys introduce yourselves as you come up. You can advance your own slides. Okay, thank you. Thank you, Tara. Uh, good evening, Council, staff, and residents. Uh, my name is Kevin Lovelace with LJA Engineering, the civil engineering firm for the development. With me tonight, I have our traffic engineer, John Aldridge, with Aldridge Transportation Consultants. I also have Karen Henry with HDG Design Group, our planner and landscape architect. And I also have Brian Alpert, the owner's representative for Castleview LLC, the applicant for the project. Tara's presentation covered uh, the majority of the information we have here for you tonight, but uh, I've got a couple additional points to add. Uh, I'll try not to be re repeat too much. 
As the staff report mentions, the first site development plan uh, application was approved over 13 years ago. Our application uh, has been in the system since 2021, and we've seen three different project staff planners, uh, numerous department staff changes, uh, and ultimately, if, you know, we've culminated in the site development plan we are proud uh, to present to you um, here tonight for consideration. The reason we're back here before you today is the final PD site plan previously approved in 2010, as Tara mentioned, um, Tara, sorry. Uh, it included five variances and two access points to Plum Creek Parkway, which would no longer be allowed per the current standards. Uh, we have worked diligently with staff to reconcile the differences in code and satisfy all departments' current requirements for development. It is noted that the remaining portion of filing two does not require any variances and therefore is intended to remain as previously approved, but it is our understanding that the owner of this original filing area will still need to submit final documents, such as a final plat and construction plans for staff review. We just saw some of this slide already, but uh, other amenities in their proximity to our site consist of local fire stations, uh, two of them, three and a half and 6.6 .6 miles away um, to the southwest and northeast. Castle Rock Adventist Hospital, less than seven miles away to the northwest, uh, where both my children were born. Philip S. Miller Park, one of the best multi-activity parks in the Front Range, just three and a half miles to the west across I-25. Two elementary schools, less than two miles to the north and east. Douglas County Fairgrounds, just two miles to the west, and multiple retail and grocers within three miles to the northeast and west. Also on this slide, we show street sections for Plum Creek Parkway and our internal local streets. Um, both of these meet the town of Castle Rock standards, as well as a schematic representation of our intersection uh, with Plum Creek Parkway designated Legend Oaks Trail. Shown here, it's designated as a stop condition, which is the interim condition until signal warrants are met. Other items shown on this slide include highlights and locations of roundabouts, traffic signals, and the regional roadway improvements from the town master street plan. Here's another graphic of the current plan. Key elements of the current plan include traversing grades uh, and meandering streets to produce an environmentally sensitive site plan that reduces grade impacts to the existing areas to the extent possible given the need uh, to meet necessary access criteria without variances. Some additional differences between the original final PD site plan and our current plan are shown on this slide for reference, many of which were driven by citizen comment and input over the various public engagement meetings held since 2021. Shown here is the conceptual layout of the proposed regional trail through the site, which follows the natural drainage corridor north of Castle Vista Drive and traverses steep grades to a planned connection to the Oaks Filing 3 to the east. Additional maintenance access points serve as dual-use uh, trail access for the local homeowners, highlighted in purple. We also have included a picture representation of the optional fencing that Tara mentioned included in our SDP. This fencing type does include an optional wire mesh grid for pet enclosure. This is an open space connectivity slide highlighting the adjacent dedicated open space areas. Our development provides 56% open space excluding residential lots 
which will likely also contain as much as 67% open space interior to each lot given their sizes and anticipated building footprints. The main wildlife corridor through the site follows the natural drainage and proposed regional trail with supplemental connecting areas provided throughout the site. It should be noted that the development in some areas north of Plum Creek Parkway is already planned and additional open space connectivity to the north should be expected in the future per the town's master plan. This slide shows the planned location of our monument signs and per citizen comments, we've added additional trees of a specific species at the request of the neighbor to the south. All landscaping shown here and throughout our SDP meets or exceeds the town's landscape and irrigation criteria manual requirements, which includes water conservation measures. This slide shows the plan location, um, of, or sorry, this slide shows the skyline ridgeline boundaries shown in beige and blue. Our development will comply with all height and mitigation requirements outlined in the skyline ridgeline ordinance for lots located within the highlighted areas. Lots not located within the highlighted areas will comply with the standard height requirements set forth from the town's regulations. Shown here is a map indicating the location of most of the citizens who provided comments on our application via either email or in person. It is noted that many of our neighbors currently live in neighborhoods made possible by the original annexation and zoning that our project before you here tonight was also a part of. We'd like to thank our neighbors, both new and old, for their input and constructive engagement as we've worked through the amendment process with the goal of bringing this portion of the development to a close. We have considered and addressed a number of concerns from our neighbors, highlighted and summarized in this slide, and believe we have made good faith efforts to address concerns without undue compromise to our own rights set forth by the governing zoning documents. In conclusion, we concur with Tara's assessment for the application in that we believe we are in compliance with all approval criteria listed herein. Thank you for your time tonight. We're happy to answer any questions you may have including the ones that were just listed, or we can defer to future comments. Uh, if you can probably go ahead and do the blasting comment, that'd be great. Um, Tara was correct. We are, at this time, we don't know the extent of any blasting required. Uh, the majority of that would probably be required for underground utilities, specifically deeper utilities such as sanitary. In the neighborhood meeting, blasting was brought up with respect to potential damage to bedrock within the filing three development itself. Uh, I just want to note that any blasting performed will have to be in conformance with a, a staff geotechnical uh, consultant uh, for both the development and review by the town of Castle Rock for blasting criteria. So uh, there was some mentioning of like times when blasting could occur and when they could not occur. All that has to be in conformance with the town standards. Um, you know, obviously, probably not going to be blasting on Sunday morning and stuff like that. So um, we just want to be clear that any blasting that we do, we'll, we'll need to make sure that we're not going to be damaging or otherwise um, impacting residents within filing three, their structures, their property, uh, their natural features, stuff like that. Thank you. Any more questions before we move on to public comment? Tim Dietz and then Laura Cavey. So do you have an outline of, actual outline of who, what, and where the blasting will happen? Or are you speculating? It, it's speculation at this point. We have not submitted final construction documents to the town Do you of find Rock. speculation to be okay in this matter? Um, at this time, we don't perceive blasting as an um, impediment to development. It would just be a um, requirement, if needed, to install the utilities. 
but you do agree it's all speculation. You may have to do more blasting than you think you need to. The geotechnical report that we have on file does not state whether or not blasting will be required. It just states that bedrock is in the vicinity. But you don't know. We do not know the extent of blasting required. Laura Cavey. Um, it was stated you have somebody here that could possibly address my traffic question. We do. We have John Aldridge here. Um, John is a little bit hard of hearing, so please speak up. Um, but I believe he can answer your questions with respect to level of service. Good evening. My name is uh, John Aldridge. I'm a professional engineer, and I prepared the traffic impact study for uh, this particular project. Uh, you'll have to forgive me. I am severely hearing impaired, so I'm not necessarily, you know, I may ask you to repeat your questions. So can you hear me? Yes. Okay. My question is, are any of the intersections and or the movements anything less than a D in terms of level of service? No, everything is, uh, is, is uh, within, um, it's better than level of service F everywhere, okay? And that is for an unsignalized intersection. So typically, you know, when you do get a level of service F or something like that, you start looking at whether or not this intersection should be signalized. But uh, in this case, no, it will survive and operate quite well. So I just want to be clear, there's nothing that's E or F. We, we may have an E in the... Um, in the PM um, do you 20, know, 2040. Do you know where? It's gonna be on the left turn movement going out of the development onto Plum Creek. So when, which is very typical for any sort of um, unsignalized intersection, uh, the worst or the critical movement is the left turn out from the minor street Okay, and so coming up uh, Castle Oaks Drive into, um, I mean, onto Plum Creek uh, in 2040, there may be a slight amount of delay that would cause it to register a level of service E. Okay, thank you. Thank you, any more questions for the presentation? Tim Dietz. Yeah, thanks again. I'm just reading some comments on drainage. Drainage in this town um, there are a lot of problems due to developments before. And when I read some of these, I, I just think drainage and retention ponds and things like that. Could we go over that, please? So, okay. Thank you. Um, the primary detention and water quality pond for this development was already constructed with the Plum Creek Parkway improvements for the arterial. Uh, that detention pond lies north of Plum Creek Parkway and will be something that we're tying into with our regional channel improvements uh, throughout the site. Uh, the majority of our developed stormwater from streets runs to this pond. There's a small portion of back lots of residential lots that will drain exterior to the site. 
I can pull up a site plan. Um, let's see. It's a little difficult to see topo on here, but for instance, uh, where the cursor is over here, uh, this street actually ends up draining all the way back over to the detention pond on the north side. The back portions of these lots does drain external to the site. Our drainage report makes comparison analysis for existing historic conditions versus proposed conditions, and in none of those conditions do we increase the peak runoff to any development points exterior to the site. Thank you, any more questions? Seeing none, I do have uh, someone who's signed up to speak, uh, Mayor Marilyn Atkire. Elkire, thank you. Can we have the one that shows the other site? That one. Good evening. I'm Marilyn Elkire. I own SRL Quarter Horses. I, my property line is the boundary between the town of Castle Rock and unincorporated Douglas County. So I guess you consider me a non-resident. I just wanted to show you briefly. This is my property boundary. This is my barn and my outdoor arena. My own approximately 85 acres. This is my driveway. Uh, runs along the property that's now the Oak Street and now the new roundabout. My driveway originally exited right where the road took the 90 degree turn and now exits at the roundabout. Um, first, I am not, it's totally unclear to me how they can automatically exclude 18 lots that were originally included. Uh, in the Oaks 2 from consideration before this group tonight. Those 18 lots, I think, are relevant uh, to the fact of traffic, which has been now been altered with, there's now only one versus two access points on Plum Creek. The public trail location is affected. The wildlife corridor is affected. And um, I don't legally know how somebody, just because there's been a change of ownership, can exclude those lots from consideration by this group. Um, my property, we talked about a lot about the open space and the buffer. If you look, my property line has virtually no buffer. The first, the closest lots to me are a matter of feet not yards to my fence line. And yes, there's quite a bit of landscape buffer, but I would encourage you to come along my driveway and look at the supposed landscape buffer from the Oaks 3, which is a total joke, and I'll be long dead before there's really any true buffer to me. So with all the open space that's available, I would appreciate if they could move a few of those lots farther from my property boundary so that I'm not as impacted. Plus, those are the lots that are going to have to be blasted 
It doesn't take a genius to walk out. You can physically walk out there and look at all the uh, exposed cap rock. I have it all over my property, and that's where they're going to have to blast. In the Oaks 3, even with their licensed contractor, they were uh, shooting rock over across the street on Ridge Road and had to uh, switch contractors. So the issue of blasting, I think, is substantial. I also have a real problem with no fencing requirement. The Oaks 3 has fencing and along the boundary along me has requirements uh, prohibiting mesh so the dogs can't go over onto my property. If you look at where these houses are, I have a pipe and cable fence classic for a horse property. You know, anyone's dogs are going to be coming up to my barn. Additionally, this landscape corridor right here there's no requirement for fencing on the back side of these lots. Mm -hmm. So anyone with an animal, they're going to be interfering with the, land, uh, with the wildlife going through here. And I think that at a minimum, there needs to be fencing requirements uh, for lots that back up to my property and lots that back up to the wildlife corridor. Uh, on the issue of traffic, originally this uh, site did have two access points on Plum Creek. The access point through the Oak Street was only on an emergency basis. Now, it, whoop, sorry. Just go ahead and finish up. Now it is uh, one of the two primary access points and will significantly impact traffic going through the Oaks Three. Um, I would request that you, one, defer consideration until the other lots are included and considered for the totality of the issues being presented before you, and two, request that a greater buffer be provided between the development and my agricultural use. Thank you. Thank you. Tara, can you speak to the, uh, the second area that's not being developed, please? That the 18 lot? Yes, please. Yes, yeah. So it's not that it's, um, maybe it's, it's just a different change of terminology. The 18 lots that are under different ownership um, are not being changed or amended from the previously approved street layout and lot location, so they're not a part of this application. They are a part of the 132 lots for this entire area, though. So they are, if you will, in that consideration, but they're not subject to this site development plan amendment. Okay, and not required to do so. No, they're not. Thank you. Thank you. I wonder if the presenter could talk about maybe the buffer and some of the other issues, uh, questions. Did you want me to answer after all the public comment was taken, or I apologize? Maybe I'm out of, out of order here. Which one's the buffer on the south end? Yes, please. Um, that buffer um, was discussed previously as part of this went through its initial zoning and then through the applications in 2008, 9, and 10. Apologies, I thought he had a slide that showed the two compared to each other, so I was going to use those, yep. So the approved plan that's in place today on the left shows that access drive. It shows a tract um, for buffering. It shows homes um, adjacent to this property to the south. So none of that has changed um, um, in great detail, but you can see from the left-hand picture, the approved layout today, to the proposal tonight on the right-hand side, that the road network and the lots have been pulled further to the north. So with this application, they've increased the size. 
um, and distance um, in this specific area. And I believe um, their plan shows a requirement to plant 26, um, I think it's Austrian pines at a 12 to 15 foot planting height. So the required plantings that they're showing um, and are required with the site plan in this area are more substantial than what was currently approved from the 2009 plan. Thank you, Tara. Yeah. Uh, Kevin Bracken. Yeah, Tara, so the, this, the dissimilar topography uh, buffer zone, um, and, I, and I know it works both ways, so in other words, there's, there's a home there, and they now put in a commercial property or a, a higher usage. Um, is that in effect here as well, and it does, does it meet those requirements that we worked on to, to put in the, in the place? Yes, yes it does. So the, you're speaking of the residential dissimilar buffering, so Correct. I should have pointed that out on the previous slide um, or in my presentation, so thank you for asking. Um, on this north end of the development, there's a multifamily development, and if there's an open space tract of less than 50 feet, uh, you're re they're required to do buffering on their side. Um, in this case, I believe it's over 300 feet uh, to that multifamily, but they have added an additional 25-foot buffer on their side. Uh, similarly to the development to the west, um, they're over 200 feet uh, setback. That is, uh, I think those are paired homes or attached homes to single family. On the southern edge, uh, the dissimilar, they're not dissimilar in the sense that they are single family to single family, uh, but they have put in, and I'll have to point to the developer to talk to the exact distance, but they have pulled back that distance and put in additional plantings uh, specifically to improve the buffering on that edge. Thank you, Tara. Um, thanks for answering those questions from the, the citizen of uh, Maryland. I have no one else signed us to speak. If someone else wishes to speak, please approach the podium and speak into the microphone. If you wish to speak, please approach the podium. I'm not on the list. Nope. My name is Mike Engler. Thank you, Mike. I'm a resident. I'd like to just show you kind of a little bit about what Maryland is saying. I live right here. Okay. There's a number of game crossings, deer, and antelope that basically migrate from this open space over near Maryland's horse farm. I see them every night by back door. With this property being developed here, there's no way for them to get from here over to here. And with all these houses here, what you're gonna do is you're either gonna you know, kill their vegetation, you're gonna eliminate them getting the water the way they do it now, and I just think that that's a concern. There was a meeting about a month ago uh, with all these people sitting in the front row here. One of the things we brought up was blasting. And as they have tonight, there's no answers. They don't know whether the first blast is gonna crack my foundation. They don't know if it's gonna be uh, you know, no damage at all. That's kind of an open question. You know, there's a lot of $700,000 homes there. Can you imagine if our foundation gets cracked, what it's gonna to do to our property value? Even if you do repair it with a professional foundation repair person, it's still gonna be in the public record. You try to sell your home, it's still gonna be known. I think that's something that they need to clearly identify with, you know, the blasting. Um, 
when you look at Castle Vista Drive, there's four turns from Ridge Road to the entrance, proposed entrance of this uh, development. You drive by about 60 private homes, okay? Now you talked about traffic and a couple things. So we're gonna have construction traffic. They're saying this, well, we're gonna limit the, well, you can't. Construction workers don't really listen to those types of things. And even if they do listen, who's to say they're gonna follow them? What do we do if we see trucks driving up and down our street, dragging mud all over, you know, in the spring, fall, and the winter time? That was told to me and my neighbors, and we can't basically verify this from the Richmond builders, that there was gonna be no development back there. Well, we can't back that up because we didn't have it in writing, but that's what they told us. I can tell you right now, we wouldn't have bought that home, and my neighbors probably wouldn't have bought that home either if we would have known this development was in the planning stages and close to approval. Thanks, so, Michael. I, just, I, didn't get, I didn't get your address. I need it down for record. Your address, please. Pardon me? Address, please. Address, please. Oh, 3825 Castle Vista Drive, 80104. Thank you. Thank you. I have no one else on to speak. Does anyone wish to speak? Please approach the podium. Thank you, Mayor and Council Members. Um, I'm actually just right down the street from the previous gentleman, my husband and I. And when we bought this house, our house, um, two years ago, we were not told that there was gonna be any more phases added on to our phase. Because if we were told that, we wouldn't have bought, okay? My husband and I bought the property in the reason was because of the open space. We didn't want to live in Denver, okay? We don't want to be crowded like where we came from, Parker, the city of Parker, where they were piled on top of each other. That was not the reason why we bought our house. We bought our house for privacy. We bought our house from being away from major traffic, going through a big development. We do not and actually are actually kind of really upset that this is even brought up to be done, okay? Um, you have a very nice housing development there right now with property value in the 700 plus range. And I know, I'm gonna say something, but I know that it's all about money and I know the more property value you have, the more property tax you can take. I understand all that. It's revenue, okay? But to be honest with you, if I see a second phase being added and a third phase because they're not going to stop, okay? Because there's a lot of land there. They're going to continue to develop to be a conglomerate, okay? And we will be then chosen to do another decision to where we will have to probably eventually want to get out and sell and leave. And the reason because of just that. So thank you for listening. Thank you. I do not have anybody, you guys like to re reply to that? 
Oh, I'm, I got your address, but or I figure it's the same thing, but name, please. Name? I'm sorry. You're good. I had your uh, um, address. I didn't even say my name. I'm sorry. No, you're good. Um, my husband and I are Ray, Ray St. Charles and Cheryl St. Charles, and we live at 4060 Castle Vista Lane. 4060. Thank you. Uh-huh. <coughs> I have no one else on to speak. If someone wishes to speak, please approach the podium. If you're online and like to speak, please raise your hand or use a, a star three for, for phone call. Seeing none, we'll bring it back to town council for discussion and a possible motion. Tar. Uh, Mayor, if I will, I'll um, work to answer one or two of the questions that sure, were just raised. Sure, that'd be great. If that's all right. No, I appreciate it. Um, to the question of are there more places that can be built in this area, this is the last area of the approved 132 lots. I should say that twice. These are 114 lots and the only other remaining are the 18. So all of those have site plan approval today, um, currently under the old plan and then this one is being amended. So as a part of the Oaks PD, this filing two area is the final piece of development uh, in this neighborhood. Um, I do wanna to touch on blasting for a few moments, just so that question's come up on some previous applications also. Um, at the site development plan step that we're at now, blasting and those construction level details are not required uh, per our code and per really where the developer is in their site plan. So I do not believe that the developer is trying to be coy um, or speculating in an inappropriate manner. They just have not gotten to that step yet. Uh, we typically see that, well, we see it with the construction documents. That's when they've fully designed the depth of the sewers, where all the interconnections are made, and that's when they hire the geotechnical folks to do the borings and determine uh, what's under there. Sometimes uh, the borings show it's fine until they dig something open and then they determine they've got to do something. Now regarding blasting, the Castle Rock Fire Department regulates that uh, pre-blasting surveys are required to take place um, on all homes. Uh, they're uh, definitely regulated and inspected and visited often during blasting and then there's uh, post-blasting uh, surveys that are conducted. To the Oaks Filing 3 area, there were some issues. This is a different builder. Uh, the land was owned at that point in time by different ownership than is before you tonight. And so that builder's blaster that they hired had some issues. They did get shut down in a stop work order from fire while those issues were resolved. So I just wanna make sure council is aware that in the site development plan step, we don't have those details yet. Uh, it's, they're not to that natural progression, but it all does go through the fire department if it's determined it's needed and exactly where it's needed. Uh, but we suspect uh, that some will be needed just simply because Oaks Filing 3 area had some. So hopefully that answers some of the questions. Um, if you have any more, happy to answer them um, and or the developer can also. Would the developer like to, like to answer any more questions or we can bring back to town council? Uh, we can address some of the comments if you want. Sure, that'd be great, thank you. That'd be great. Uh, just to touch on blasting since it's a hot topic tonight, uh, we have about 60 geotechnical borings already, so we have a good idea where the rock is, but it really is impossible to know exactly where all the blasting will take place until you're really under construction and you're opening holes and putting in utilities. Um, and, and blasting is a, a real headache. Um, it, it's something we don't like to do, and we'll go to great lengths to not blast and use alternate equipment to get through some rock. 
as you guys know, there's all kinds of different rock out there and a lot of types of rock we can get through without blasting. Sometimes just certain types of tractor attachments can get through that rock without the need for dynamite. So we don't really know the true extent of blasting until, sorry, could nobody hear anything? I just no, good. <laughs> all right. Uh, so yeah, that's kind of the, the spiel on blasting is that we don't like to do it either. I know it's a headache for everybody, but we'll attempt to try to minimize it as best we can. Uh, the dissimilar buffers, uh, we greatly exceed town criteria for. We have multiple dissimilar buffers um, on the west side and south side and north side of the site. Um, we've already adjusted some of the lots on the south side to try to appease uh, Ms. Alkire behind me. Um, I I'm really, really proud of my consultants who you know, really worked hard to um, satisfy all of her comments and uh, and really made a good plan around that. Um, additionally, it's hard to see, but lot 77, 76, and 75, uh, they all have a no-build zone on the south end of those lots, um, so that the home will be really on the front end of those lots. And also take into account the scale of this map. Uh, you know, what you see here in yellow, these, these lots are, you know, on average two to three and sometimes even four times the size of an average single-family lot in Castle Rock. Um, so while you see a big yellow square there, the actual home is, you know, the building envelope is fairly small. So, um, And then as for the construction traffic, um, the, the way that this uh, was really designed is that we don't want a lot of our construction traffic or really any of our traffic going north through filing three and vice versa. So the meandering roadways are kind of meant to try to cut down on cut through traffic. We don't want people using our neighborhood as a shortcut. Simple as that. To elaborate on that a little bit more, as part of our final construction document phase, we're required to submit um, grading and erosion control plans to staff. Um, staff can and does restrict trucking routes. So trucking routes have to be submitted to staff and approved. Um, I, I, I can almost guarantee that they're going to require those trucks to be taken off of Plum Creek Parkway, which is where our primary intended grading and erosion control access will be. A secondary access will be provided at the top just for the purpose of fire. Um, so just that kind of speaks a little bit to the next step in our process that we haven't even gotten to yet. Staff will need to review that. Internal staff will provide comment and then haul routes would have to be pr proposed and approved through staff. Um, to speak just a little bit more on the traffic studies, the Oaks Filing tr 3 traffic study did consider this development. Uh, the Oaks Filing 3 uh, recorded plat does speak to the future Filing 2 area. It, there's actually labels on the plat that shows Filing 2. So it, it wasn't uh, uh, obfuscated or you know hidden in any way from the Filing 3 plat what this parcel was necessarily going to be because it was designated a future Filing 2. Um, so it's unfortunate that perhaps a builder may have misspoke or uh, even even deceived uh, the, the owners within Filing 3 saying that there was going to be some kind of open space and maybe it was undefined. There is a, a publicly uh, dedicated land space here. So perhaps maybe what that builder was alluding to is that there is dedicated open space in the immediate vicinity of those lots. However, it doesn't necessarily just extend all the way to Plum Creek. Um, as far as our traffic study goes, there was a comment about whether or not the 18 lots were included in that traffic study. They are, uh, as well as um, contributions of traffic from filing three as well. Uh, how that traffic was divvied up and um, controlled in our report was reviewed by staff and approved. 
Thank you. Um, I, I think that covers the majority of the comments provided. Were there any more comments from? Appreciate it, Laura Cave Council. Um, could you address the fencing question? Uh, so as Tara mentioned, per our current zoning and per our PD, fencing is not required uh, as part of our obligations. We've provided the optional fencing uh, that um, is most wildlife friendly and provides the pet barrier uh, aspect to it. Um, however, fencing is not required per our, per our PD. Uh, speaking to a little bit to the DNR uh, Department of Wildlife, I have gotten comments in the past within Douglas County applications where fencing has been discouraged from the Department of Natural Resources for Colorado. From a wildlife perspective, they would rather not see fencing. Um, when fencing is required, they require that, defencing, that fencing to be wildlife friendly, um, but they encourage uh, no fencing. Thank you. Kevin Bracken. Would you, would you consider um, appeasing the, the southern resident and consider uh, being a goodwill gesture of, of doing a, a fence buffering there of some sort? Yes, we could look at it. Um, as of right now, I feel like we've already made leaps and bounds to appease that southern resident, um, especially with the no-build zone on those lots. So the, the southern, I want to say about 50 to 60% of those lots are no-build zones, in addition to extensive landscaping we've done um, to you know, minimize any impact uh, visually that that resident would have. Uh, we're also uh, talking about HOA rules, um, where if people have a pet, we would expect them and require them to put a fence around their home. I am pro-fencing. I want to have fencing in this neighborhood, but we've worked with CPW, Colorado Parks Wildlife, about how to best make this neighborhood natural, fit in with the terrain, and be wildlife friendly. So, you know, it's, it's tough for us because we're kind of walking a tightrope of people want fencing, people don't want fencing, I want fencing. DNR doesn't want fencing. So we feel like we've chosen a fence that works for everybody and the, the, the folks that need it, you know, the folks with pets. You know, I'm a dog owner myself. I don't want my dogs to run away. I'm going to put a fence up. So some homes will have it, some won't. Uh, but we could definitely look further into the south property line. I think it's also worth noting uh, in those HOA documents, specifically speaking to containment of pets, uh, we've also mentioned there's other uh, methods for restricting pet access, uh, such as invisible fences and other means. So we want to make sure that we leave that flexible, especially for the folks that want to preserve the natural nature of, of these you know, half acre plus or minus lots that they're purchasing in this area. So um, you know, requiring fences to go up um, broad scale could, could be much more detrimental than it would be uh, helpful. But again, the HOA documents are currently not finalized at this point. Uh, they intend to be finalized before any lots are purchased for construction. Um, and again, the methods of containment uh, don't necessarily have to just be restricted to a physical uh, boundary fence. They can, they can also be other kinds of containment as well. Quick question, Laura Cavey. So you're saying if the homeowner has a dog, they are required to put up fencing? Or well, again, the HOA documents currently aren't written or existing, but those are the talks we're having that we expect that um, any homeowner would expect uh, be expected to keep their pets contained within their property, whether so, it be through a fence or an invisible fence, one of those electric ones with the shot collars. Uh, there's different ways to do it. So just a comment for you guys. Sure. I have horses. Um, 
and it could be a disastrous mess if a dog gets loose and chases a horse through a fence or some other, I can just tell you from personal experience, and a lawsuit would definitely be forthcoming. So I would highly suggest you reconsider that corner. Agreed. Thank you. Max Brooks. I want to ask a question that perhaps might be better suited for staff, although I believe that if you want to stay put, I think that you might be able to answer it. If not, free to punt. Uh, but I just want to make sure that I'm clear. It's my understanding that the roadway connections here uh, were approved sometime when I was in high school. Um, right, 2010, I believe, is, is when all of these were approved. Yeah, high school. Okay, the part. Okay. <laughs> Come on. The access to the other street is supposed to be emergency. Yeah. So, um, back in 1985, when you were in high school, um, Councilmember yes, yes. and I was. And, and you were right. Uh, the 80s were, were great times. Um, that's when the initial zoning was put in place with conceptual and, and major road connections, um, and then refined through the various site plans. So yes, the site development plan uh, currently in place today from the application was 2008, and the approvals were in 2009. Showed road connections. What's different to Day uh, proposed today is there was a second road proposed connecting to Plum Creek Parkway. Um, it might not be super clear on this graphic, but there's a drainage way and, and floodway area here. It's not the best place to put a road in. Um, and so by taking that road connection out there, it really opens up uh, the open space um, uh, as well as just making it better for construction purposes. So yeah, the, the main road connection points have been uh, in place and approved for some time. Yeah, I'm familiar with that little scrubby area. I drive by it daily. Um, but thank you for clarification. Thank you. I believe all the questions have been answered and um, public comment is now closed. It's back to town council for a motion and discussion. May I just make some comments first? Yeah, you can make just comments. Go ahead, Laura Cavey. So, um, one comment I do kind of want to address is that within the town of Castle Rock, um, residential development does not pay for itself. Um, each home gets, we might see, I say roughly $50 um, in, in property taxes. So I just want to dispel the misnomer that we up here on council approve residential development because we want the property tax. It does not help us, which is why we do things like impact fees. It's why we do things like we ask for the developer to dedicate open space, to give us water rights, to develop a park and not just the open space for the park because residential development in the town of Castle Rock does not pay for itself. So I just wanna be super clear about that, that we are not up here rubber stamping things because we're going to get tax revenue from it, number one. Number two, um, from my perspective, I have some hesitations about this development and the way that it is currently today. I'm concerned about the blasting, which I do understand you can't know right now, but it's still a concern. I'm concerned about the traffic, and I'm concerned about that southern border um, that backs some of um, some of these larger properties. I am not against the development holistically if some changes were made, but at this point right now, the way it is, it'll be a no for me. Thank you, Laura. 
Um, like I have a couple of comments. One is, is uh, as Tara has mentioned earlier, this this was an entitlement from 1985. Um, it has been has a, a couple of changes here and there since 1985, um, but it's been titled for since Max Brooks was in high school. Um, and so I think it's it's hard for me to say. Wait a second, we have development for one filing and number three. And for no one to think that the number two was going to be developed, I mean, it it it, it was going to be developed, and it's going to, it, and it's always going to be developed. It's just a matter of of when. Um, and so I I feel like that the developer has made a lot of accommodations, um, and I'm sure that's not exactly what uh, filings one and three want, or people in a in that vicinity exactly want. Um, but I'm, I have a really hard time with somebody who I feel like has worked hard with the town on making, um, on making, uh, try, trying to make, make sure that everyone is happy as they can be. And, and then having an entitlement for almost 40 years, um, I know that if, if, if I own that property and I, try, and I work so hard uh, to do it and paid taxes on that property uh, for X amount of years, um, it would be uh, very upsetting um, to, to not be able to do it, um, and so I, I, I'm, a, I'm, I'm, I'm in favor of it. And with that, I'd like to move to approve this resolution as, as introduced by title. Second. I have a first and a second. Further discussion. Tim Dietz. I have co comments too. Um, how long have you folks known this property? It's a question that I got. Thank you. Well, I know that council over the years, we could have made some changements to these zoning entitlements and blasting and everything else, but we haven't. I'm not okay with the blasting. Um, but it's that whole not knowing even though I hear from town staff and developers that they, they're not sure, but they're, they might, they might not. That's just a bunch of pooey on that. So, but, and then it's the traffic. Who pays for that extra infrastructure after development and developers are long gone, whether they live here or not? Those are a couple of things. I also am not in favor of this based on that. Thank you. Thank you. Max Brooks. Uh, Ma'am, I'm kind of going this way mm -hmm. so I can look at you, but I'm going to come back this way so I can get to my microphone. Um, you know, I, I, I don't want my comments to be uh, taken out of context. I don't want them to be to, to seem callous or dismissive. Um, but it is, uh, it's relatively common, um, which isn't to dismiss your comment, right? But it is relatively common, whether it's a planning commission or town council, that we hear from folks that have believed that there is an area um, that they've been told is going to be open space. Um, there is a duty as somebody making the biggest investment in their life to do the research on their own. It's there, it's filed with the town. Don't trust, and this is a cautionary tale for anybody, not just you, it's too late, right? But for anybody, don't trust what a real estate agent is telling you. They're trying to sell you a piece of property. Always look to the town and ask questions about what's going to happen because that open space 
and, and I can use air quotations around open space, is quite often not open space. It's been entitled and already marked for development. Um, so this isn't a town thing. This isn't the town looking to develop property. As, uh, as Councilwoman Cavey said, you know, we don't get any tax off of that. It's one-time use fee. So this isn't a town mechanism. This was an area that was always marked for development. Um, so just, you know, I'm sorry about that, but uh, but that's a piece of it that um, that I think everybody is a pr uh, prospective homeowner should learn from. I am town staff knows this. I am not crazy, um, and that's an overstatement, understatement about the um, about the road connections. I, I think the road connections are difficult, um, but the road connection that's my. That's the problem with my problem, is the road connections were decided upon earlier. Um, we all drive streets, we all understand, and I'm particularly concerned with Castle Vista about how that traffic is going to flow from, from Ridge Road onto Report Drive, to Report Avenue, to Castle Vista Drive. You know that that's going to be used. Whether it's used often, that could be argued, but you know it's going to be used. And when it is going to be used by folks that, are, that, that don't live right there in, in filing three, it's going to be used as a cut-through. And a cut-through means a speedway, because everybody is pretty darn important these days. They've got things to do and places to go. It's creating a problem that I wish we could avoid otherwise. I'll tell you right now, I mean, there are mechanisms within the town for residents for our traffic calming program. Once there is a problem, you start signing a petition and the town looks at speeds. It might be something that you want to look at right off the bat. Because I'm telling you, there are going to be issues along Castle Vista Drive, Report, and all of those, those drives through there because people are going to use them and people are not going to be respectful of the fact that there's already homes there. So I'm not crazy about that. However, <laughs> you know that's already that's already been that's already been decided, right? Um, and I haven't even talked about the other road connection, which staff knows I'm not crazy about because I don't like roundabout, roundabout, light, roundabout. It just isn't consistent with 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 traffic now. That's an us problem. It's not a you problem because uh, as a developer, because I understand that um, uh, that our the way we look at traffic has changed and the way that we move traffic has changed since since this was entitled, but. You know, it's difficult. I would just please encourage um, continued conversation with the, the residents in the area to try to lessen impacts, not to look past fencing or blasting or anything else, but especially with, with traffic, because there, there's going to be traffic speeds there that are not going to be consistent with, with good neighborly driving. And if you can mitigate that up front, I think that would help. Thank you. Thank you, Max. Any further comment or discussion? Roll call vote, please. Councilmember Cavey? No. Councilmember Bracken? Yes. Councilmember Brooks? Aye. Councilmember Dietz? No. Mayor Pro Tem LaFleur? Aye. And Mayor Gray? Aye. Thank you. Motion passes 4 2. Thank you. Number 11, resolution 2023-150, resolution finding petition of annexation of submitted by George Matt. 
Matione in the substantial compliance with Article 2, Section 31B of the Colorado Constitution and Section 31-121071 CRS setting a date, time, and place for the hearing prescribed under 30, Section 31-12. Dash one zero eight CRS to determine the filing to determine in the subject property of eligible annexation under Article two, Section thirty of the Colorado Constitution and Sections thirty one dash twelve dash one zero four and thirty one dash twelve dash one zero five CRS. Tara. All right, well, good evening. Um, back before you for a proposed annexation. Uh, this is the substantial compliance uh, portion of the process. Uh, the subject property is located off of Ridge Road, so it's on the west side of Ridge Road. You can see it's just adjacent to the King Super um, at Ridge in the Founders Marketplace area. Uh, you can see that Mim and Young uh, in the town boundaries is located to the west of the property. And you can see the unincorporated Douglas County properties around it. So um, to the credit of the long title that the mayor just had to read, uh, what we're doing tonight comes out of the state of Colorado uh, state uh, annexation process. So this is a three-step process that's regulated by the state. What we're doing tonight is the first step, substantial compliance. So at this point, we are merely uh, reviewing the state application to make sure that the requirements were met. Is the petition accurate and is it complete? So that's what staff has done at this point. So the property owner is entitled to uh, this hearing tonight to confirm that their petition is accurate. Um, moving forward, what we'll also do tonight is set the date for step two, which is the eligibility hearing. At the eligibility hearing, we just determine whether it meets the state requirements to be eligible to annex, so can it annex? And then in the future, we will have uh, really what I call step three, where we then actually consider the merits of the annexation. That's when we look at the proposed zoning on it, uh, and that's when we have the bigger discussion on whether this property should be annexed. So right now, we are uh, going through the requirements uh, set by the state of Colorado and making sure all the right application parts were submitted. So as you see on this screen um, in letters A through D, uh, we have confirmed that the annexation petition was signed by more than 50% of the landowners. Uh, it was signed within 180 days of being filed with the town clerk. The petition and map are complete and contain all the requirements of the state statute and that Finally, that petition and map were then filed with the town clerk. So that is uh, merely the merits that we're looking at tonight. Staff has reviewed uh, their application and confirmed that it does uh, meet all the requirements of this first step of the annexation process as established under Section 30 of Article 2 of the Colorado Constitution uh, and in the Colorado Revised Statutes 31-12-1071. So staff recommends approving the resolution tonight of substantial compliance and that resolution also sets the eligibility hearing date for Tuesday, February 6, 2024. I have a motion for your consideration. Um, at this point, there's not an application um, uh, presentation to make, so I'm happy to answer any questions you might have. Tim Dietz. Yeah, Tara, why are we calling it town center? Uh, this is the Who applicant's came up, came proposed, up the applicant's proposed um, name for this area right now is called Ridgeview Town Center Annexation. So that's the name they put on their annexation petition. Do we feel like that takes anywhere, any way from downtown? It would misrepresent people in downtown. Is there it's any way that- It's not something we've considered. Um, that's the name of the petition as they submitted okay. it. Um, and so we can just tell you that the, the 
parts to the application are accurate um, and we can see if we should have further discussion with them on the name. That'd be great. There are other parts in town, such as the Meadows Center, uh, Meadows Town Center, that have a similar name, but um, based on its location, it might not be confused by some to be downtown, but we'll have a discussion on that. Just a question. Okay, great. Thank you. Laura Cavey. Do we know, and I'm assuming the answer is no, but I'm just going to ask. Do we know anything yet about how this property would be zoned? Or right now it's just purely they want to move this property into the town boundary? Um, at, they have done a pre-application within the last year for development on this parcel. Um, to be very clear though, tonight we're not discussing the merits of what they're proposing. Their formal zoning application will come to us after the eligibility hearing. That's laid out uh, again uh, by the state requirements. Uh, it, the pre-application we saw within the last uh, couple months is for uh, retail uses, um, uh, probably <laughs> leading to their name of the town center, uh, so sales tax driven type, but not residential. So that was our understanding at the pre-application. But again, we can't take yeah, that into consideration tonight. But and question. I know that. I just yep. didn't know yep. if under annexation we knew why they wanted to annex in, whether, like yep. you said, We're it's residential, allowed. it's commercial. We're not allowed to accept their zoning application yet until after eligibility. But yes, it's okay. retail. I'm David. just going to quickly add that, that it's all accurate. Very good question. As you know, it's not pertaining to the substantial compliance, right. but it's a very good question. We've communicated, I hope, effectively to the prospective applicant that we're not interested in residential at this location. From a staff standpoint, you all would decide what the uses would be, but as far as a staff recommendation, we're not interested in retail uses that uh, support the neighborhood, that would be welcomed in the neighborhood, and that would provide uh, sales tax base because we're not interested in a residential component at this location. That's just the general communication. I think that's accurate, Tara. Yes, it that is. We've conveyed to the applicant, but we're following, as you know, we're it's a good, good general question, good discussion point as well. We're just, tonight's just substantial compliance, but um, and it does substantially comply with the state statute, but it's a very good question because as you indicated on the last item, residential uses don't um, add enough um, tax support for the, the demand of services that they create. So we're not actively seeking more residential annexation. That's, that, that's a theme that, that our understanding from listening to you all and having a discussion with us that we are conveying to application, to annexation applications. I appreciate that, thank you. Thanks, Sarah. I just want to make sure everyone understands all we're doing tonight is making sure we're voting on whether they got their application requirements correct. Not on the land at all. Eventually that might come to us. Any other questions? I'll open this to the public. I have no one else time to speak. If someone wishes to speak, please approach the podium and speak in a microphone. Online users may use the raise your hand feature and phone and call or so press star three <laughs> and state your name whether resident, non-resident, or business owner. You have four minutes to speak. Do you have a gentleman here? Yes, sir. I'm going to approach the podium. Can you say your name and address? My name is George Mattioni. I'm the owner of the property. My address is 53 Charlou Circle, Cherry Hills Village, zip code 80111. And I'm just here to answer what questions I can at this point. 
I think we're good. We, we really should be answering, asking those kind of questions. Well, that's just okay. for I'll, I'll volunteer one. then. You can go, go ahead and volunteer. Um, our plan is to create a town center concept as opposed to a strip mall concept on the property. It'll be approximately 50,000 square foot of retail commercial. Um, take, taking advantage of the views available from the property. The access to the property will be the stoplight by the King Supers on Ridge Road. Um, there will be most likely two pad sites that could be commercial, office, or retail south of the traffic light. Our present plan includes five separate buildings, single story because of the height restriction. To the north, one of those sites, not actually in the northwest corner of the property, there's about a 100-foot buffer, also non-built area because of the ridge restrictions. Um, that northwesternmost site is will most likely be some sort of a destination restaurant site. There is no residential plan for the for that site. Thank you. Okay. Appreciate it. Okay. Anything else? Okay. I have no one else time to speak. If someone wishes to speak, please approach the podium. And speaker and microphone, online users use the raise your hand feature and phone in callers press star three and state your name and whether you're a resident, non-resident or business owner, you have four minutes to speak. Seeing none, now I'll bring it back to town council for a possible motion and discussion. Mayor, move to approve the resolution by time. Second. I have a first by Kevin Bracken, a second by Max Brooks. Any further discussion? Roll call vote, please. Councilmember Cavey? Yes. Councilmember Bracken? Yes. Councilmember Brooks? Aye. Councilmember Dietz? Yes. Mayor Pro Tem LaFleur? Aye. Mayor Gray? Aye. Thank you. Motion passes 6 0. Thanks, Tara. Next, I have advertised public hearing and discussion action items. Public comment would take on a limited of four minutes per speaker. Council will also accept council comments submitted written online at crgov.com backslash council comments by 1 p.m. today to be included in the public record. Number 12, um, um, direction discussion 2023-34, applications for fourth quarter council, um, sorry, council community grants program, two applications. Pete? Good evening, Mr. Mayor and members of council. Uh, as Mayor has just stated, we're going to be uh, presenting the fourth quarter applications for the CCGP or the Council Community Grant Program. Just wanted to go over a quick overview of the current policy. The program aims to support projects that contribute to Castle Rock's quality of life with an emphasis on programs and activities for youth, seniors, community-based environmental and sustainability, I'll try to say that slowly, uh, community-based performing and visual arts. Uh, currently, the town is <coughs> funded through this, uh, I'm sorry, this budget is funded through the general fund. Uh, per town council, we've increased the quarterly grants this year uh, to an annual budget of $16,000 and with a quarterly disbursement of $4,000 with $1,000 awarded per organization. We have two applicants tonight. They both meet the criteria. Uh, their amount requested was kind of the older amount, so we're going to be recommending the $1,000, but we'll be listening to council's guidance and direction here. Both, uh, um, again, meet the requirements. Uh, American Legion Post 1187, and then the Help and Hope Center. And we have a proposed motion up there for you. Uh, we do also are recommending the $1,000, and we'll await your direction. Thank you, Pete. Um, do we have anybody in the room who'd like to present? We're good. We're good. Tim Dietz. 
Yes, uh, Mayor, Council, I'd like to recommend since we give 4,000 a quarter away that we bump this up to 2,000 each. Can I wait till I do public comment? Sorry. Why, certainly. Thank you. <laughs> Is there any questions? And then if not, then we'll go to public comment. I don't know if it's public. No one signed up to speak. If anyone wishes to speak, please approach the podium and speak in the microphone. Online users may use raise your hand, feature and phone and callers press star three, and state your name, resident, non-resident, business owner, if you have form to speak. Now we got Tim Dietz. Thank you, Tim. What I said before. No, I think both these organizations do incredible work. Um, and again, it's money we've already set aside for funding. And if council agrees with that, I, that's a motion I'd like to offer. Okay, I motion to give each American Legion and Help and Hope Center 2,000 each. Second. I have a motion by Tim Deeds, a second by Laura Cavey. Any further discussion? Roll call vote, please. Councilmember Cavey? Yes. Councilmember Bracken? Yes. Councilmember Brooks? Aye. Councilmember Dietz? Yes. Mayor Pro Tem LaFleur? Aye. And Mayor Gray? Aye. Thank you. Motion passes unanimous. Thank you, guys. Number 13, Ordinance 2023-40, Ordinance Amending uh, 20.02 and, and .020 of the Castle Rock Municipal Code um, to conform with sections of the requirements set forth in the Municipal Annexation Act of 1965 with respect to the annexation of town-owned property. Tara? All right, well, uh, in keeping with the discussions recently on annexation, uh, we have a proposed um, ordinance for your consideration. Uh, this stems from, um, as you read in the title, uh, the Colorado's Municipal Annexation Act of 1965, um, which was definitely before um, Councilmember Brooks was in high school, um, for sure. For sure yeah. So, um, Know that uh, the heavy lifting for the work for this proposal really comes from uh, town attorney Mike Hyman, who is not able to be with us tonight. Uh, so I'll be uh, doing my best with my mini attorney hat on, but if there's any challenging uh, questions, we'll send those over to Lindsay. Um, but the Annexation Act of 1965 is very clear that there's an exemption for town-owned property that does not solely consist of public streets or right-of-way. So if the town owns a parcel that's not just right-of-way, and I'll give the example of Gateway Mesa as a, a town open space, uh, if the town owns it and the town desires to annex it, they don't have to go through the state-regulated steps of substantial compliance and eligibility hearings or the additional noticing that's required for that. Uh, so this is something we have known. Uh, however, uh, in recent in-depth uh, review of our annexation code, uh, uh, Mike point, has pointed out that our Title 20 section of our code does not expressly uh, exempt those town-owned parcels. Um, so in Title 20, which is where the town layers on some additional annexation requirements, right up front in the legislative intent, uh, the code clearly states it's not intended to modify the Municipal Annexation Act requirements. Uh, that is the chapter where we put in additional annexation noticing and public hearing requirements that you would see on a typical development uh, project um, or just a right-of-way project. Um, but it currently does not make it clear that town-owned property that's not solely public streets or right-of-way is exempt. So what we're proposing to do with this code change is a, a clarification and cleanup in section 20 um, and specific to 20.02.020 as where annexation hearing and public notice requirements are laid out and we're proposing to add section D. It's at the end of that section and you can see the, the text on this screen but it 
It really is using the same words that are in the, the Municipal Annexation Act. Nothing in this section is intended to apply to the annexation of town-owned property that does not consist solely of public streets and or right-of-way. Additionally, we recognized that this public notice section uh, in our code was last touched in 1997, um, which I was not in high school at that time, so we'll, we'll stop the high school references. But um, uh, let's see. It was a good year. So newspaper requirements to notice in the newspaper is in this section of the code. Um, and so we're proposing to remove that, uh, really aligning it with our current practice today where all of our land use cases are noticed on our webpage. Uh, mailed notices go to uh, everyone within 500 feet of the property and the yellow hearing signs are put in the property. So that's just a cleanup to make sure that we don't procedurally step on our toes because we missed a dead a deadline uh, for our once a week newspaper. Um, so these changes uh, also have a footnote we're proposing to change in Title 17. Uh, this section of Title 17 has a, a table of the notice requirements. Annexation is listed in it, and it references the, the reader of the code back to Title 20. So this footnote is just making it clear again that the town-owned property uh, does not go through the extra steps. So what does that mean or what does that look like? Um, I put this slide together just to show for developer annexations, nothing we're proposing tonight changes what they go through. Uh, that's the first column you see here. The items in black, substantial compliance, eligibility, uh, the annexation hearings at council, uh, the annexation hearing and the second reading on the ordinance, those are all still required today. Uh, in gray, the planning commission recommendation, that's in the town code, so that's not in the, the state statute. Uh, so nothing we're proposing tonight changes uh, what a developer does when they're requesting to annex, uh, similar to the, the owner that was here tonight. For town-owned right-of-way only, so the middle column, that would be like Crowfoot uh, Valley right-of-way. We recently annexed that. We went through all these steps. Again, nothing we're proposing tonight makes any changes to that. It doesn't actually change the last column either because that's in the state statute, but it clarifies that town property that's not solely right-of-way, again, our most recent one was Gateway Mesa, um, only goes through those annexation steps um, at council. Uh, neighborhood meetings still apply uh, to all of these. It's just really making sure that we haven't unintentionally put something in our code by not exempting ourselves out of the 1965 Act. Um, again, Mike Hyman is, uh, was one of the, uh, he was not writing the code in 1965, but he has worked uh, closely with CML over the years. There's some guidance document on this Municipal Annexation Act, and he was one of the editors of um, that information that went out. So he's really up to speed on this. We haven't had very many uh, town-owned properties that were not just right-of-way, so it's probably why we haven't recognized before that our code was not as clear as it could be. So with that, staff is recommending approval of um, this clarification by adding that section D in and removing the requirement uh, for newspaper notices, which would apply to all applications. So happy to answer any questions you have at this time. Yep, Laura Kitty. This may be a really dumb question <laughs> because it's 4.30 in the morning for me in Rome. So, Fair enough. But, <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm still really messed up on my time zones. Question. Why, if we own the property, would it not already be annexed into town? And is that a dumb question? No, it's, it, it's not. Okay. Um, a lot of property that we acquire, for example, if we're fortunate enough to close on Lost Canyon Ranch, 
That is not in the town. So when we would have, um, when we acquire it, um, we're not only in addition to extinguishing their development rights, we're going to want to annex it so that your town code that you all decide applies to that property. So that whatever can happen on that follows that. So there's, um, we don't, we have a lot of these little pockets where we have, where we end up owning the property and sometimes they're a, a remnant of a development or, or whatever. In some cases, as you know, it took us a while on the Crowfoot annexation. Um, the annexation statute is, in my mind, and Lindsay can chime in, the annexation statute is, is designed to restrict municipal powers, town and city powers, to, and to protect private property owners so that they cannot, in many cases, be brought into a jurisdiction that they don't want to. Um, and so we've got these additional procedures in place, which um, we would be concerned if if we did a lot of them, we might we might misstep it and 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 mess up something. We don't want to have to do that on town-owned property, which is really just simple. We just want to own it. We want to be able to apply our rules. If it's if it's our anti-littering ordinance, we want to be able to apply it on town-owned property. That's that's why we want to do it. We don't want to have to call the sheriff's office. The sheriff's office can say, "Why are we?" You know, all of that. So that that that's why we want. It's really a cleanup issue. There there may be some opportunities, as you all know, to consider enclave annexations where we completely surround property. We want to make sure that we followed all of the correct steps in creating that enclave. So we're trying to trying to make sure that we're following the the state law in this area. But it's not going to have a lot of widespread application. We. Um, the, the previous manager and, and, and Bob Slintz kind of had a philosophy is we don't really need to annex it, um, so we, we haven't. But I think we're now seeing the need where we may want to in the future be able to annex some of this to be able to dictate the rules and to be able to understand, uh, understand why, we want it, why we want to do it. Doesn't add anything to the tax base. Um, it's already exempt from that, but it's, it's something that will help us clean up stuff. But it, it's going to, you know, if we're fortunate enough to uh, acquire some other open space, probably likely that it's not in the town right now. So we would, that, that, that's, what, that's when we would want to do it. it. That would not be right of way. Um, but we still have to, as Tara pointed out, we, for, for right of way, when we're going to be annexing areas associated with Crystal Valley Interchange that we've recently bought, that is right of way in most cases. So we're going to have to follow all of the additional procedures. So that may be a long long-winded answer, but no, it's a, it's a, it's a good question because um, generally we, if, if we're buying stuff, it's it usually, a lot of times it is in town, but in some cases on the periphery, Lost Canyon Ranch is, I think, a good example. That's a good example. That's a perfect that, example. That, I get that, it. That, yeah. that it'd be like, well, no, we want it in the town, not because, we're, again, we're trying to annex to the, you know, to the Frank Town line. It's because we want to apply our rules our traffic laws, our public offense code, whatever else it is on that on that piece of property. Makes total sense to me now. Thank you. Appreciate it. Any more questions for Tara or staff? 
Seeing none, I have the openness to the public. I have no one's time to speak. If anyone wishes to speak, please approach the podium and speak in the microphone. Online users may use the raise your hand feature and phone in callers can press star three. And please state your name and whether you are a resident, non-resident, or business owner, you have four minutes to speak. Seeing none, we'll bring back to town council for a possible motion and discussion. I move to approve this ordinance as introduced by title. Second. I have a first by Mayor Pro Tem LaFleur and a second by Laura Cavey. Any further discussion? Roll call vote. Councilmember Cavey. Yes. Councilmember Bracken. Yes. Councilmember Brooks. Aye. Councilmember Deese. Yes. Mayor Pro Tem LaFleur. Aye. Mayor Gray. Aye. Thank you. Motion passes 6 0. Thank you. Number 14, resolution 2023-151, resolution approving the Castle Rock Water five-year strategic plan for 2024-2028, Mark Marlowe. Good evening, Mayor and Council. It's getting late in the night, so I only have an hour-long presentation for you on this topic. Just get it done by Christmas Eve. Yeah, all right, Christmas Eve. I have till Christmas Eve. Thank you, Councilmember Deeds. Um, really, uh, uh, just to introduce this item, this is a really important document for us. This is our third rendition of a five-year strategic plan, which sets out kind of a roadmap for us on all the things that we want and need to do. It's not just really for the community, though, and that's one of the things I want to make sure council understands. This is largely for our staff to make sure they understand what the goals are. There's a lot of tactics in here that individual staff members put on their list for their annual goals and work very hard on those individual tactics. I do want to thank our strategic planning team and our leadership team for all the work on this. Their names are listed on the document. I won't read them all, but um, they started this at the beginning of the year. <laughs> took all year to get this done, and hopefully we'll get this approved and move forward. Uh, before I move into the new plan, just a couple of notes on the old plan. Uh, the plan that's expiring at the end of this year had 117 individual tactics we were trying to achieve, and about 70% of those were done. Um, some got carried over to the new plan. Some were canceled because they were no longer relevant. Um, some of the things I'll highlight, though, that we got done the pump back from the Sedalia Reservoir locations was all built and constructed. We built the advanced Plum Creek Water Purification Facility as a part of this. Obviously, that's when we were first able to reuse water. Um, we got direct potable reuse regulations passed by the state of Colorado so that we can proceed to direct potable reuse here in Castle Rock in the near future. And then also one of the biggest achievements was the no turf, no new turf ordinance that we passed this year, uh, which is going to help us a lot going forward. And of course, there's a lot of other highlights here, but I won't take more time. Um, the vision and mission for the organization hasn't changed. We really want to be a national leader. We don't want our water system to be second rate or second best. We want it to be really good, best quality water you can find. Um, and of course, the mission really is to protect public health. That's the bottom line. Um, we're a public health entity. Um, strategies all stayed the same with the exception of strategy two where we just revised a little bit of the language to focus a little bit more on key aspects of our people. People are one of the most important things for our organization are obviously um, the people that run the organization. Uh, going to strategy one, just a couple of things to point out. We really want to buy the rest of the um, water that we can from the Cherry Creek Project Water Authority. This is 250 acre feet of local renewable water supply, very senior. We want to get a hold of that if we can. We are working very hard 
to come to agreement with Parker Water to participate in their Platte Valley Water Partnership, which is way out east, partnership with agricultural entities to create more water. The Box Elder Project, I have some good news there. We're very close to getting done with Water Corp. We started in 2019. It's taken almost four years to get through. We hope to have our final stipulation with opposers in about two to three weeks. And then we'll really be working on the infrastructure plan to get that water back to Castle Rock. And of course, a number of other really important things here. We want to continue on the conservation side, looking to get high efficiency toilets approved eventually, um, and some other things. So 46 tactics just in strategy one. Going to strategy two, a lot of good stuff here. Uh, the only one, I'll, I'll mention a couple of things here. We, we really want to focus on how we can measure our competitiveness for salaries in real time because what we're finding is a lot of utilities continue to raise their pay and then we find out after a staff member leaves instead of finding out before. Um, so we want to find ways to do that better. And then um, we really want to bring back our apprenticeship program and we want to focus that with the Douglas County Legacy Campus. I hope some of you have been up there to see that. They have a really cool program for getting kids into real-world jobs, and we have supervisory control and data acquisition needs, and we want some of the robotic students up there to come work with us. Um, so we're working on that. Um, strategy three, moving on to that, you can see here uh, advanced metering infrastructure. As you guys know, we're putting those meters in, but the next step is really to develop the customer portal so that all of you can look at your water use on a daily basis and see how much you're using, how exciting that is, and how much your bill will be to us. Um, and then, uh, and then, of course, we're bringing on a staff member that will be focused on landscape architecture to help with Colorado scapes. That's going to be really exciting. And you, know, you see down here in goal three. Um, one of our goals or tactics is really to work with Douglas County on all these issues related to a long-term water plan for the county, especially those unincorporated residents they're not in um, or within a water provider currently. Going to goal four, um, this is something hopefully we'll bring to you guys in the first quarter of 2024. We're working on developing what I call drought rates. These would be rates uh, the rates would go up slightly when we get into a serious drought stage two, three, or four in order to incentivize additional water conservation, but also to make sure that revenues don't drop too much as we conserve that water, because as you guys know, many of our costs are fixed costs, so we can't afford to let those revenues drop too far. Um, we're also, of course, working very hard on renewable energy opportunities um, with CORE because Power, energy is our second largest cost. We want to drive that down if at all possible. Uh, going to goal number or strategy number five, only key thing I want to focus on here, um, rehab and replacement. We're going to be continuing to work very hard on replacing infrastructure as it begins to age because we don't want to get behind like a lot of other utilities have in this country. Um, we want to make sure we're keeping up with that. And then you guys know we're in... I believe it's year five already or four of the SCADA master plan. That's our control systems. We're going to be continuing to be, be bringing large projects to council in that area to finish that up, hopefully in the next two or three years. We're also going to be revising that master plan 
because it's already five years old and we need to continue to keep that current. And then finally going to goal six, which is really, or strategy six about industry leadership. Um, we're gonna be incrementally trying to continue to drive that water conservation down to 111 gallons per person in the town in this five year period. The ultimate goal of course is to get to 100 gallons per capita. Um, we're gonna be looking at artificial intelligence um, obviously, there's a lot of opportunity to gain process efficiencies with our team by using that tool. Although I will say I put um, into chat GPT today, is Castle Rock Water a leader in the water industry? And it said it didn't know, so maybe it's not all it's cracked up to be, I don't know. Um, then uh, the last item really here is the non-functional turf. So we have a goal over this five year period to re reduce that existing non-functional turf by 5%, and of course we're trying to get to 30% reduction over about a 20 or 30 year period. Um, we did take this to Water Commission. We have David Hamelman, our chairman here tonight. We get great support from our commission. Um, they did recommend approval by council, and staff of course recommends approval since they did a bunch of work on this. So I'm happy to answer any questions. Any questions for Mark? Thank you. I will now open to the public. I have no one's time to speak. If you wish to speak, please approach the podium. And speaking to the microphone, online users may use the raise your hand feature. And phone in callers can press star three. And please state your name and whether you are a resident, non-resident, or business owner. You have four minutes to speak. Seeing none, we'll bring back to town council uh, for motion and discussion. I move to approve the resolution as introduced by title. Second. First by Tim Dietz, second by Mayor Pro Tem LaFleur. Any further discussion? Um, no, I thought it was really interesting. I just real, real fast. One of the things I thought was really interesting was using AI to figure out like um, even um, leaks in the system that were not usually detectable, like you know, 20, 30 gallons a day at a leak or five gallons a day. But over time, that's a lot. A lot. And I think that there's several places in town, any town in America, that has leaks that are not being detected. If you have a faucet that's dripping all day, that's a lot of gallons. Oh, absolutely. And that's where AI can do things that staff, that a human can't detect. So it's a great opportunity, yeah. for sure. Yeah. Unless it's Mark Marlowe. Unless it's Mark Marlowe. Yeah. <laughs> Roll call vote, please. Councilmember Cavey? Yes. Councilmember Bracken? Yes. Councilmember Brooks? Aye. Councilmember Dietz? Yes. Mayor Pro Tem LaFleur? Aye. Mayor Gray? Yes. Thank you. Motion passes 6 0. Thank you. Number 15, Resolution 2023 152, Resolution Approving the Construction Contract with Garney Companies, Inc. for Plum Creek Water Purification Facility Expansion Project. Mark. All right, well, this is obviously one of the tactics in our strategic plan is to expand the Plum Creek Water Purification Facility. We want to double its capacity. So a little background, of course, this is our flagship plant. Hopefully everyone's been to see it. If you hadn't, please call me and I will take you on a tour. Um, key part of our long-term renewable water plan, one of the most advanced facilities in the country. And in fact, it was designed to be able to do direct potable reuse. So um, it's ready for the next stage. Um, we 
Built it originally around 6 million gallons in 2014, long after Councilmember Brooks graduated high school. All right, just got to keep going with the theme here. Um, 2021, of course, we started recycling water. So that's amazing. We're reusing all of our water, um, taking all kinds of stuff out of the water that's not even regulated. Believe it or not, we already made a $52 million investment in that site just for this facility. So a lot going on there. Uh, what do we want to do? We want to double the capacity, go to 12 million gallons. You can see this little fancy drawing here. The yellow highlights are the things that we have to add. So we have to add a whole nother pretreatment um, train. We have to add additional granular activated carbon filters. We have to add another advanced oxidation train and more solids handling. And then there will also be emergency generation and or maybe some renewable energy options to keep the plant running when we lose power and also create energy when we're running under normal conditions. But we'll see. Um, the timing of this is really synergistic with our Castle Rock Reservoirs 1 and 2, which are being expanded and will be done um, end of 2026. Um, we're using what we call a guaranteed maximum price contract management approach, project delivery method. We used this for the two, first two phases of this in 2013 and 2020, 2021. It's a really successful way to go. Um, what you get is you get competition because all of the various pieces of the contract get bid but you get a contractor that does the management of all of that and becomes part of the team from day, well, we're at 30% design, so becomes part of the team at that 30% design, which is really helpful because you get the contractor on board to work with the design engineer. Um, this is the initial step of the contract for a guaranteed maximum price, and this is called pre-construction services, and what we will do is have Castle Rock Water, the design engineer, and the contractor work together to get to a final design. They have at this point provided an initial guaranteed maximum price based off of the 30% design drawings. The contractor will come on board and do constructability reviews, value engineering, cost estimating, scheduling, and bidding, and, and provide that information to the team. The team will then develop two work packages. One will be an early work package where we will pre-purchase a bunch of the big equipment that takes a long time to manufacture, like the filters for the granular activated carbon or the oxidation equipment for the advanced oxidation. That will be work package one. And then the remainder of the project would be work package two, and that's all of the construction work. Both of those work packages will come to council. Now, our procurement process for this, we went out for a request for qualifications in August. We had six firms come in. Um, we went through those firms very carefully, looked very hard at them. We ended up shortlisting two of those firms and then actually getting initial guaranteed maximum pricing from those firms. You can see those two firms here. Garney uh, came in lower on the initial guaranteed maximum price. Uh, we, we worked with Garney. Um, team wants to recommend Garney. Uh, that's who we're going to be at recommending tonight. We revised their initial guaranteed maximum price after working with them to make sure they fully understood the scope and what we wanted. We ended up 65.8 million as their actual guaranteed, initial guaranteed maximum price. 
Um, now, Garney did the advanced treatment phase in 2020 and 2021, so they're very familiar with the site and they understand that they have to be able to keep the existing plant running during this entire construction period. You can see here what Burns and McDonald estimates the project to be, so 75.3 million. You can see what inflation has done to all this stuff because to date we've invested 52 million, and now we're looking at a 65.8 million dollar project. Um, so, this contract tonight is for 311,000, however, I wanna make sure everyone understands that. We're not approving 65.8 million tonight. That will come later. This is the pre-construction services. The important thing to understand now is we will go, if we go forward with Garney tonight, then we're guaranteed that the maximum price we're gonna sign up with them for will be 65.8 million. And they need to keep it, they need to work with us to keep the costs down and keep it below that number. Um, if you look at the total expected costs, including design and construction administration services and all the other things, permitting, we're looking at about 72.3. We budgeted in our latest five-year plan 68.7 through 2028. Now, obviously, when we go to award those work packages, we're gonna have to do a budget amendment and pull that money forward, because we have to have all the money in place when we award those contracts. We will have to do likely an additional little budget amendment to get to the full cost of this project, it looks like. Um, timing of this is work package one would be in April of this coming year, 2024, and the second one would be in September. And September is also when we would be bringing back the construction administration services contract with Burns and McDonald for oversight during construction. Completion of this, believe it or not, is all the way out summer of 2027. And part of the reason for that is long lead equipment items, but also they're gonna be building this plant expansion while we're running the rest of the plant. So that's gonna be very challenging to make sure that we're protecting the existing plant as they do that. You can see right here in this picture, this is the original pre pre-treatment system through the plant, and they're gonna be building the other pre-treatment system right next to that. So it's gonna be very tricky because right now the ground level is all the way up to the top of the concrete you see in this picture. So anyways, um, to get to Castle Rock Water Commission, they did recommend approval, um, but I'm happy to try to answer any questions. Questions from Mark. No questions, I have, we'll open this to the public. I have no one's time to speak. If anyone wishes to speak, please approach the podium and speak in the microphone. Online users may use the raise your hand feature and phone in callers and press star three. And please state your name and re whether you are resident, non-resident, or business owner, you have four minutes to speak. Seeing none, we'll bring it back to town council for a possible motion and discussion. I move to approve the resolution 2023-152 as introduced by title. Second. Uh, first by um, Councilmember Dietz, second by Councilmember Bracken. Any further discussion? Just a comment. Go ahead. Mark, uh, again, the recognition that Castle Rock gets for being the leader and, and water and everything else, I'll speak for myself, trusting your knowledge and your team and what you're doing to make Castle Rock the best in the water 
I mean, you could throw a hundred trillion at me while I would probably question that. <laughs> but those numbers look pretty modest compared to what I see other larger cities and stuff that they have to really spend on their water. So keep making Castle Rock water great. Thank you, council member. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I mean, it's, it's amazing, but you know, I mean, I, I guess we want to have the best water in the country, whatever, you know. <laughs> so this is almost like the pre-treatment for funding. It is. I like That's that. a great yeah. way of putting it. Yeah. Yes. Okay. I gotcha. Roll call vote, please. Councilmember Cavey? Yes. Councilmember Bracken? Yes. Councilmember Brooks? Aye. Councilmember Dietz? Yes. Mayor Pro Tem Lafleur? Aye. And Mayor Gray? Yes. Thank you, Motion Pestlets. Thank you. $68 million, Mary The time is now 8.49. We'll set a motion to adjourn the meeting. Second. I have a first by uh, Councilmember Bracken, a second by Councilmember Dietz. Any further discussion? I just want to say thank you very much, uh, town staff. I want to thank council members for an incredible year. Um, there's a lot of hard work being done by staff and everybody at that. And especially I want to thank our citizens at Castle Rock. Have a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Adjourn. Oh, no, 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 no.